1: Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, episode number 200! Special guest today, no one, just us. Doug LaMurice and Stephen Means, thanks for tuning in. Listen to Spring Games on Saturday. We don't have time to mess around with special guests just because it's a round number episode. So maybe we'll have a special guest on, you know, like in the next three months when we're grasping at straws trying to figure out what to talk about. But for now, we're going to talk about your Ohio State Buckeyes football team. Follow us on Twitter at Douglay at Stephen underscore means at Buckeye Talk Pod. Email us at Buckeye Talk Pod at Gmail. And I'm going to hit you over the head with the text message uh, plea later. Stephen, we're diving right in. Uh, someone last week said I'd take too long to get to the point. And let me let me talk about taking too long to get to the point. Um, <laughs> That's taking too
0: long to get to the point.
1: B-flusk 5 B-F-L-E-W-S-K-5. Five. Who is the player you are most excited to see in the spring game? And the player you expect to see the most development from compared to last year. So, Stephen, who is the top of your list? And, again... There's a caveat here, which is Ryan Day emphasized, and we're, we're doing this on Wednesday. We just talked to Ryan Day on Wednesday morning. You know, like a lot of the big names aren't going to play that much, um, which has always sort of been the case. But like he said, Chase Young, as an example, is not going to play that much. I don't think Malik Harrison's probably not going to play that much. Um, I'm trying to think some other guys who stand out because actually there's not like a zillion veterans because like Jordan Fuller and Thayer Munford and Tuff Borland aren't going to play at all because they're hurt. So there are some guys like that. So, you know, nobody's going to say Chase Young because he's probably only going to play for a series or two. Who is the guy you're most excited
0: about? Chase Young's going to break his sweat and get off the field. I am excited to watch Garrett Wilson, to be honest with you, especially in a a game where they're not tackling. So you you, want to see the, the defense the main part of like one of the main issues last year was their ability to tackle but you're not going to go full out tackle in a spring game that's just not safe to do they're going to be doing thud tackling which is literally I looked up what it is you're going full speed up until the moment of contact and you just kind of back away
1: yeah not to the ground
0: not to the ground just enough to you know say you got to tackle so I'm excited to see Garrett. Well, in a game where you're not going to be doing a lot of tackling I think the most entertaining thing to watch is going to be why receivers go up against DBs That's in practices those have been entertaining I think that's entertaining in game so yeah Garrett Wilson I'm interested to see what he can do
1: they are going to go and we'll run over this a little bit Stephen you can go read Stephen's post at cleveland.com as well just explaining what you're going to get in the spring game four ten minute quarters running clock in the second half there's not going to be a ton of action um Ones versus ones, like they're not they're not having a draft like Jim Tressel used to. Ryan Day didn't talk about, you know, whether when they divide up teams, does a losing team have to go mulch Buckeye Grove, which they've done in the past. He's mostly interested in going one versus ones, and usually in the spring game, that's how they end up getting divided the last couple of years anyway. Um the number one defense is is on one color, the number one offense is on the other color. But they're gonna go ones versus ones, two versus twos, threes versus threes. They're going to keep score. I don't, I'm very curious to see like how much of a game atmosphere there is. Um, I thought the student appreciation practice this year didn't have as much juice as in past years. I'm curious to see if the spring game has any less juice. They haven't really talked about any special things at halftime. They're going to introduce Michael Jordan and Draymond Jones to the crowd because they were all Americans last year. They'll have some other Buckeyes. There's always a good, um, number of former Buckeyes that return they'll get introduced they're gonna have a bunch of recruits there but but I, from a fan perspective I'm curious to see what it's gonna be like and I, I'm, a, I'm a at the moment I'm a little surprised that if, if they do back off on like the entertainment aspect at all um, I've sort of been talking about how like hey Ryan day is looking for friends he's looking for everybody to like him you know like kind of making maybe taking the juice out of the spring game a little bit. Would be contrary to that. It it seems like Ryan Day is more interested in getting stuff done. It's practice 15. um, It's the end of spring ball. It's his first spring ball running the show. I think he wants to get stuff done. So, you know, go. I always encourage people to go. It's five bucks. I think the weather should be okay at least. Um, So I would show up. I think my guy that I'm, I'm interested to watch, and I just wrote a story that you can read at Cleveland.com about the battles for jobs that, that even though it's kind of, he downplayed it, they're not making decisions, um, we'll be able to get a sense of some guys. One guy on offense is Nicholas Petit Frere. The way that Ryan Day talks about him, I think Nicholas Petit Frere has won the right tackle job this spring. That's, he's the guy you want to win it. He's a second year guy. He's a five star recruit. You want him to win a starting job. You would rather him win it instead of a, of a senior. Um, so that seems like that has happened. He's been praised all spring. He was praised again Wednesday. I'd like to see Nicholas petit Frere for a couple snaps, you know, against Tyreek Smith or Jonathan Cooper, maybe even Chase Young, how's he look. And then on defense, I think to your point, Stephen, the DBs against the receivers, Josh Proctor is a guy that people keep talking about. I'm on the Josh Proctor bandwagon. Athletic safety. Rangy safety um, helped on special teams to some degree last year. Curious to see how that's going to work. I'm just again Jordan Fuller's been out all of spring, but Jordan Fuller's going to start in the fall. So I'm just curious how this safety thing is going to shake out. And I think part of the idea is like is is Josh Proctor just going to force Ohio State to play him to find a way. One way or the other, so I think you know there's a couple other guys that that uh, you can focus on, um, but again, it's it's not those top tier guys because the top tier guys aren't going to play.
0: Oh, and it'll be interesting to see what the bullet looks like in a live action in the shoot. Like obviously we've seen it in practice a couple times. We got to watch them scrimmage a little bit in there on Friday, but to see what that looks like, you know when the handcuffs are off a little bit more where a coach can't just like, well, he can, but he's not going to come in every two seconds to stop something. It'll be interesting to see what that below position looks like. It looks like that's going to be Brendan White starting at the position this year.
1: At Zadea, Eddie Vulic, our guy, had asked that. What should we be looking for Saturday? The rotation, play calling, strengths versus weaknesses? What are the stakes for different people? Like, again, how to watch this? There's a lot of scheme stuff worth watching, yeah. right, that you want to get a sense of how Greg Madison and Jeff Halfley are going to deploy this defense. So the bullet is part of that. And we don't have a 1,000% firm grasp on what they're going to look like down to down. Um, they've been playing a lot of that third corner, whether you want to call it a safety, but it's a third corner up covering the slot. Sean Wade on the field in that uh, position, just like last year, has been on the field a lot. Will they have that outside linebacker there sometimes? Like Is the outli- an outside linebacker like Pete Warner as opposed to a bullet uh, like Brendan White? It is worth taking a look at that. Do you feel like, Steven, that that what we're going to see... Are we going to get an indication on both sides of the ball? And we'll get into the offense and the, and the scheme and the play calling there. Do you think we're going to get an indication Saturday of what things are going to look like in the fall? Or do you think they're still in the midst of, of working stuff out... And that we shouldn't take too much away scheme-wise from Saturday for how things are going to look in August.
0: From how coaches have explained, especially that bullet position, how they've explained it, how when we talked to Brendan White, how he kind of explained how this is still something that's like he's learning and it's going to take throughout the summer. I don't think we're going to get a good enough indication to be able to go. Okay, this is what this is going to look like in November. I think we're going to, you know, see what like maybe what the plan is for it, but not any real like. Oh, okay, this is my, how it's going to look. Just because I don't even think like Brendan White is probably going to start there, and he doesn't have a full understanding of it after 12 practices.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the interesting is I, I would watch, and and it, Ryan Day has sort of mentioned this a couple times through the course of spring. That in evaluating the quarterbacks, he would say things like, well, we're playing a little bit of different defense than we did last year. And the, the implication that it, to me he keeps giving is like, well, we're not playing press man all the time. So like maybe their completion percentage is a little higher because we're giving them some throws, but trying to take away the deep stuff, right? That I'm, I'm curious to see. The thing that I would watch for is how that defense defends schematically different personnel packages so it seems like ohio state's going to want to maybe try run to run more two tight end sets so i think we'll see a decent number of two tight end sets on saturday in a two tight end set who's on the field is the bullet on the field is sean wade as the third corner on the field is it an outside linebacker like pete warner my guess is that that's a great use of the bullet that I think maybe Sean Wade is off the field. If there's two receivers, two tight ends, and one running back, you have your two outside corners. You have your outside linebacker, like Pete Warner, but then you also have the bullet, and, and there's not – the Sean Wade player is off the field. The bullet is on, and, and again, this is like, well, you know, if you have three linebackers on the field anyway, is the bullet really a bullet or is the bullet just the safety? I don't know. It's like a box safety. I think Brendan White's going to cover the most uh, potent tight end in that setup, right? That you're going to get maybe a a safety like Brendan White on that guy rather than a linebacker. But when Ohio State goes three wide, when K.J. Hill or Jalen Gill or C.J. Saunders is in the game in the slot as the H-back, then I think they're going to be having that third corner out there. And then I think the bullet might not be on the field because then the, if the third corner is out there like Sean Wade, then your 11th guy is either a Pete Werner type of outside linebacker or a bullet. So you could have the bullet there if you want to then defend the tight end with the bullet and have the corner cover the slot. And now you only have two uh, true linebackers, right? I mean, I think that could... So it, it's that mix and match... Because I think they're going to mix and match the offense schematically a little bit. You want to see how they mix and match the defense. That'll give you a little bit of an idea of, for instance, how often the bullet's going to be on the field in the fall. Because the thing that they're saying is, well, you know, again, if you're playing Wisconsin, then you're probably going to have three linebackers a lot. If you're playing Purdue, then you're probably going to have you know, a, a different coverage set in there, maybe with two linebackers. So Ohio State is multiple in their offensive sets. Um, that, I think, is something that you can take away, a little bit of the mixing and matching. Offensively, under center is very interesting to me. What are your expectations at the moment, Stephen, for how much you think this offense may go under center instead of being in the shotgun in the fall? Uh,
0: I think a good amount. I think I, – if. if. Let's just say, let's put it 100%, I think. I'd say 25%.
1: Which would be a gigantic Gigantic change.
0: But the way they have talked about, like, going under center, going under center, it's, it's something they clearly want to do. Kevin Wilson, like, was... They were extremely excited to talk about the fact that they're going on the center, and he was also excited about the fact that they're going to have more than one tight in on the field in certain sets, but I think you're going to see it a lot maybe on Saturday just because that's something that seems to be obviously since they haven't done it nearly as often over the last couple of years, that's something that needs to be worked out a lot more than, you know, maybe a zone read does. Um, I think that's interesting, but I think what's also interesting is they haven't picked the quarterback yet, How and if he's going to go 1v1s and two v2s, how often are we going to see Justin Fields with the ones versus how much we're going to see Matthew Baldwin with the ones? Because Justin Fields hasn't taken snaps with the twos. Matthew Baldwin has taken snaps with both. Yeah. um, That's interesting.
1: I mean, I'm sure Matthew Baldwin is going to get some snaps with the ones, Yeah, right? So then I think they have to give Justin Fields some snaps with the twos Mm -hmm. as well if they're trying to divide it up that way. Um, Again, I, I almost wish... I'll be curious. Ryan Day did say that they are going to have some guys in in uh, both jerseys. It'll go back and forth between scar excuse me, scarlet and the gray. Because I'm guessing again, for instance, right? If 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 um, the scarlet is like first team offense and the second team defense, right? And then the gray is first team whatever the reverse of that. You have to get Baldwin some snaps with the ones, but that also means that Fields has to get some snaps with the twos because you can't just not I have Matthew Baldwin. People. Right. And they really don't have, I almost, I mean, it would be fun. It would be fun if it was really just kind of like a divided spring game and they drafted stuff like Tressel. Tressel, I ran a really good spring game. Tressel, it just was fun. I don't know if it got, if it was productive, but it's sort of like, listen, man, you have 14 practices. The spring game is the 15th practice. You got three weeks in the preseason. Just have a good time, man. Have a good time. I would love to see like the Matthew Baldwin team with Ben Victor, K.J. Hill, and Garrett Wilson versus the Justin Fields team with Austin Mack... Chris Olave, and Jalen Gill. Did the but we're not pick. going to. Did the players pick? Yeah, they, the, the, the Trestle years, they had a draft. See, the draft day... They actually let the players pick. Heck yes. See, that would be fun too, because you get to see who the players think are good. Yes, it, <laughs> it was great. Fun. They drafted, it was very strategic. They drafted by position. I was telling somebody about it today. There was a year, I think this is right, where like Justin Boren had just transferred to Ohio State from Michigan, and it was clear that he was going to be a starting guard, and I don't think he'd played tackle in his life. And just the way the spring game draft went, it was like, wow, this one, one of the teams has no tackles. And it was like Justin Bourne had to play left tackle in the spring game, even though he's not a tackle. And that made no sense for Justin Bourne's development. But it was like, oh, well, too bad. That's how the teams got drafted. So that's how we're going to play the spring game. I liked that. We would sit in there. They invited the media in. The media would watch the team draft. And then the team draft, they would do, you know, team A gets to pick a position. So team A would say, We're going to start with receivers and we're going to take Garrett Wilson. And everybody would go, Oh man, they took the freshman number one. And then you would go back and forth drafting all the receivers. So then team B would take Austin Mack, team A would take Ben Victor, team. B would take Chris Olave like See, back and fun. forth like that. Fun
0: and it's competitive because it's like, oh, I was the last pick in my position. Yeah,
1: and you would get a sense, like you said, you got a sense from the players of,
0: man, that's who, that's uh, who we're going. We're good. going
1: defensive ends, and Tyreek Smith is the first choice defensive end. And obviously, it's not because people think he's better than Chase Young, but you know, Chase Young's going to have limited snaps. Yeah. But they think Tyreek Is yeah. the next best guy. <laughs> So it was all this strategy and, like, what? where are their positions where there's depth on the team? Where are their positions where there's a scarcity on the team? Where it's like, man, we only have one good guy at that position. Just even, you know, we're going cornerback. And it's like, who gets picked first, Okuda or Arnett, you know? We're going tight end. Who gets picked first, Ruckert, Farrell, or Barry? Like... Mr. Tress, Woo, that was fun. Like, we sit here,
0: we talk this all day, but it's always fun to see how the players feel about things we talk about. Yeah,
1: and that's the best, as you know, Steven, like, the players know best. Eh. The players, but the players know who's good. Eh. You don't think so?
0: I I think, I think in all sports, I think players sometimes don't necessarily have the most biased opinions on who's good. (coughs) You just would draft your friends? I think yeah, I think sometimes it does come down to drafting your friends, but it's also I think, yeah, I don't know if like players know best when it comes to knowing how to play. Like obviously, like Chase Young knows how to get to a quarterback better than not everyone know how to get to a quarterback. I know,
1: but but, but you like, don't think, but you don't think Chase Young would be like I'm drafting. If I'm drafting, I'm drafting this offensive lineman because I go against him every day and I know that this like young backup is better than these old seniors. I thought I thought that was the whole thing. The players knew.
0: I think. I think great players make terrible GMs. No, they do. That's what that's what it comes down to. So I don't like. I don't know if they'd build. I think they would just kind of like pick guys that were hard for them. That doesn't mean that they were necessarily better. Like maybe they just have a better matchup against you.
1: I gotta look. This might be wrong, but I think if I remember, I thought there was a story. I guess – and this is an old one. I'm trying to look up an old Troy Smith spring game thing. It was before my time. I thought there was a story that, like, Troy Smith went really high in a spring game draft that people were like, what? I and and then listen. it was like, <laughs> oh, the guys know. The players know that, that Troy Smith is good and, Justin and, and like, the fans don't know it yet. The play, and Maybe the coaches don't know it yet. Um, all right. We're going to dive into more – of your spring game questions we also just we had a back-to-back Ryan Day Chris Holtman press conference extravaganza so we also just had a wrap-up press conference with Chris Holtman so we'll get into a little bit of basketball the idea of Caleb Wesson trying the NBA draft although he can still come back to Ohio State um, talking more with Ryan Day about um, some other things to expect on Saturday how things have gone in spring so we have to take a little break here we'll be right back again it will be a one-second break, because at the moment, we don't have any commercials. You know what? I might come back, though. I might come back and make you listen to the text message thing. But we'll be back quickly here on Buckeye Talk. Doug Lane, Reese, Stephen Means. All right. Back on Buckeye Talk, a question near and dear to my heart. I am a spring game advocate. On email from Doug, it says, I'm taking my grandsons, four and five years old, to the spring game. What should I be sure they see? So... From one dug to another. It's a great question. I did a story a couple years ago about fans who go to the spring game because you know what? Like a hundred bucks or seventy bucks to take your family, you know, per per ticket plus concessions and parking to take your family in the fall is really expensive. Five bucks a person is is much more doable. Um you know what? To, to just sit in the stands and like absorb the buckeye of it all is really good. I would maybe try to make your way down. It's general admission, so make your way down. Try to stand on a rail early on. Try to get close. Try to point out stuff. It's really about pointing out and, and absorbing the Ohio Stadium experience more than anything. So you, you want to make sure, like, hey, look, there's the Woody Hayes sign about all the national championships he won. And look, here are all the retired numbers ringing the top of the stadium. And you want to show them? I guess it's the north end zone. You know, I don't know if the, I guess the, I don't know if the band will be there or not. But like that's where the band sits. And and you want to show them the tunnels? Look, that's the tunnel where the players come out. Um, that kind of stuff I think is important that you understand. That, and then when you guys watch these games in the fall, you have that firsthand experience of hey, I saw that tunnel, or hey, the, the you know the giant flagpole, right? That they run that giant flag up the pole in the end zone. Um, watch them do that. That's really cool. Um, make sure you get a look at Brutus, right? So it's just, I think you want to absorb all those things that are at the spring game that those are at every game. And so yeah, it's a practice game and it's, and it's a scrimmage and it's, you know, that's not real, but all the trappings, all the trappings of a football game, that's the real deal. That's where the game takes place. So I think it's just you want to point out that kind of stuff and make sure you absorb. This is a historic, historic stadium. Make sure you go stand in the rotunda outside, right? Make sure, um, you absorb that kind of stuff. Maybe take a walk all the way around the stadium before the game and, and feel the stadium. Feel that this is a place that Chick Harley built. Feel this, feel that this is a place that's been around for a hundred years. Feel that, hey, look, this is the old part of the stadium and now they put this new stuff around it. A lot. There are a, a lot of places, most schools don't have a place like Ohio Stadium. So just soak that in um, and and it will absolutely make that five bucks worth it. Um, Steven, you were saying that as a young lad, you, you were there for an Ohio State practice and uh, did you absorb the Ohio State-ness of it?
0: First and foremost, I just want to tell you that was beautiful.
1: It is beautiful, and I'm not like that. I wrote, like, a a salty tweet after the Virginia game because everybody was like, perseverance from Virginia. And I was like, yeah, perseverance and like, three of the luckiest breaks you (laughs) ever saw in your life. Because here's the thing. Everybody has perseverance. Purdue had per- perseverance, yeah. but that long rebound got tapped out, and their perseverance true. wasn't enough. True. Auburn, whose best players knee-exploded the game before, they had perseverance, and then that dude fouled the three-point shooter. Perseverance wasn't enough. Yeah, I didn't know Texas Tech yeah. persevered like a bunch of mamma-jamas, and they decided that a ball tipping off your pinky oh means God. you don't get the ball. I'm not so going to go into that. That's a I, whole other. I just I don't like the implication when we get to the point that, like, your perseverance it's is better, better than, than our perseverance. <laughs> when it's not your perseverance that got you there, it's all—it's the, it's the it's, bounce of the ball. It's, it's the preparation the game. and luck. It's like it's Hard a work great preparation and luck. It's a great inbounds play that gets guy open with 1.4 seconds left against Auburn that allows him to be fouled. That was a legit foul, but like that. Come on. You go into the body on a three-point shot. If you don't think that's a foul, I don't even think we can have a discussion. Do you believe you don't call it because it's the last second? You can't just say come on three times and have that be an argument. Make an argument.
0: I don't think that was a foul. Why? Because the guy ran into him and absolutely affected the shot? Okay, I'll say this. I am all for protecting a shooter. But we have gotten so far left with protecting shooters that like – any little type of this is still the a guy comedy. ran into him. This you is, ran into his no the, the picture you can literally see in the picture. His hands are actually even behind his head. He's just in his face, which is what they teach you to do as a defender when you're contesting a shot. You just make him uncomfortable. We've gotten so far left with. You don't think
1: shooters. you don't
0: think he he ran into him? No, I think we've gotten so far left that you don't think our, his bodily his you don't think the Auburn players' body physically hit the Virginia minimal, players' body? No, what I'm saying is I think any minimal contact in a contact sport
1: it's not a contact has,
0: sport. Basketball is yes, it is. It's is a contact shooting, sport. It affected his
1: shot. You can see his his three point shot was online and came up short, and you can actually physically see the reason it came up short is because he got bodied. They don't call the that release. 10 years ago. They don't call that five years ago. No, I don't think that's true. I think that's true. You, they don't call a three-point shooter being run into? No, I don't call that foul. I'm not saying they don't because call Because it's that. the last second or at any point? A little bit of both. Oh, I disagree. I, I don't
0: think they called it. And I wanted Auburn to win. win.
1: I don't – if I think Virginia, I Virginia can I think Virginia can take a leap. I think Virginia got every whistle they wanted. They did. They did. But so anyway, it's not yeah, their this, perseverance. Yeah, hold it's,
0: on. Let's, back to what we were talking about. Back to we talking about. <laughs> we'll get there because I, so, I can go on a whole
1: spiel about I, that. And like the but. whole thing of like people are like, did you think Virginia was going to like fold the program because they lost to a 16 seed? It's like the adversity. They had to fight back. It's like I know it sucked. Like that wasn't very fun. Everybody was making fun of you. I get it. What did you think the other option was to do? Did you think Virginia was gonna go eight and twenty three this year because they lost to a sixteen seed? They did what normal people do, which is like something stinky happens and then you move on. So it was fun the first week when we thought they were gonna do it again. So like I don't I mean, it's just this it's this over the top and I get it. Certainly that's a part of it. But nobody in this society can just allow someone to work hard and overcome a tough break without making it sound like They are
0: the greatest. It's the greatest fortitude ever shown in the history of mankind. You lost a basketball game. I've heard greatest comeback like way too much. First of all, that was last year. Second of all, it's one game. Like it's not like this is a series where like, oh, they lost. They got swept by a 16 seed, and now this year they come back and win the national championship. They lost. They had a bad game, and the team they were playing didn't have a bad game. So they went home this year. They got some lucky breaks and played decent enough to win a national championship. But the initial question of the first time I ever went into Ohio Stadium, um, I say that was a beautiful soliloquy because I wish somebody would have gave me that soliloquy before I went in there because I would have went in there with a whole different mindset. Yeah. Like, I'm from Columbus, so, like I- – the same with anything when you like are used to something it's not as cool anymore like you know like yeah this that's an historic stadium I'll never take that but like I'm used to it so it's like not as cool it's like how the Ohio State Michigan rivalry at some point in my life when I was like 14 wasn't that big of a deal for a little bit just because like I grew up in it but yeah I think it's cool just like at four or five years old you know four or five year old boys like sports four or five year old girls like sports everybody likes sports and when you're a little kid it's cool to be around that and it's it's not like it's a game where it's like this closed off environment. It's a little more open. You can see their faces and stuff. Yeah, so take your kids. It's cool. Take pictures. Uh,
1: Nathan G. Nilly on Twitter. All I want for my Buckeyes defense is Toronto Mitchell starting at middle linebacker and Baron Browning starting on the outside. Does this Buckeye wish come true in the fall? And then our man Nicky Under says, preach. No, no. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's like, that's my dream. You can't steal my dream. How many what? times How many times do I have to say that I love Baron Browning and I love Toronto Mitchell? So, like, no, I don't, it's not gonna come true because the dream, my pre-spring dream of when I begged them to move Baron Mitchell, uh, Baron Mitchell, Baron Browning to the outside at linebacker, like, did not happen. He's a middle linebacker. So Baron Browning and Toronto Mitchell same, play the same position. So no. I wish it would come true too. But Malik Harrison's gonna play. Tough Borland's gonna be in there to some extent. The Bullet's gonna be on the field. They're gonna play Dallas Gantt and Pete Warner and guys at outside linebacker. I don't think Baron Browning's moving to outside linebacker. He's been there every snap this spring at middle linebacker. Maybe, I think you still wait. Maybe he gets a, a look in some packages as a defensive end or something, but no. I, like Gene Nilly, man, I'm there with you. I invented the Toronto Mitchell at middle linebacker, Baron Browning at outside linebacker, Ohio State. Backers club of that's what the linebacker should be. But I just, it's the scheme, it's the scheme that's setting this up that they don't think Baron Browning, I don't think fits on the outside. And then I just don't think tough Borland's going anywhere. I don't, if, 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 if you had to ask me, like, what's the most likely thing of all those? It's like that Baron Browning's the middle linebacker and that maybe Baron Browning is first among middle linebackers and Toronto Mitchell gets in there. But I just don't see a scenario where we see Baron Browning and Toronto Mitchell uh, on the field at the same time. Do you have a, a particular group or a couple linebackers that you really would like to see on the field a lot? I mean, there's about seven or eight scholarship guys that are legit and I think deserve to play. Um, is there anybody that you like in particular, or are you kind of waiting to see how it shakes out more in the preseason?
0: I think I'm going to go team Justin Hilliard. Hill- Hilliard. But, yeah, I'm more waiting to see. The hurt guy. Yeah, when he gets back. I'm all for that's a lonely team you're on there I know. Steven. I I like to be on the lonely teams cuz when they pay off it's like I was the only one right. He's a good guy. He's a huge recruit. Yeah, he's that's had, why. He's
1: had awful, awful injury after injury, injury. <laughs> like both biceps.
0: Like that's Which a per, that's awful. a good perver- perseverance story.
1: Yeah, that's, like, actually, that's, like that's your real, body. That's is. why
0: I'm te- I'm Team Justin because
1: like, uh, lost to UMBC and everyone made yeah that's fun not of yeah that,
0: that's your fault like is it, like he can't he can't control injuries. No, so that's why. That's yeah. why. Like I like it's not like this is the first time where it's like the stories come out of him being hurt.
1: And then the UMBC
0: Twitter account
1: tweeted out a photo of Leonardo DiCaprio chasing somebody as a great cat, <laughs> and he hurt our
0: feelings. I love that Twitter account.
1: Go who's? I don't know what's a who. I don't know what a, what a who is. They say I go who's it was from
0: the Grinch. Like,
1: no, uh, that's not what. That's not who they think no, go who's. No, not who. what they're saying. Yeah, <laughs> it's, but like, it's Mary Lou who and yeah. Nancy Jo who.
0: Go who's. <laughs>
1: Oh, man. Now I'm wound up. See, now I sound salty. I am salty. Someone said, but someone, I tweeted that, like everybody in all of Twitter is like Virginia Perseverance, and I tweeted like Perseverance and a bunch of arm farts, and then someone was like Salty, and it's like, why would I be Salty? I have no connection yeah, to Virginia. Life, no. It's not personal. It is a, it is, the only thing that's personal about it is a world where every time, like, somebody fights hard to win a game, It's Jim Masters – Jim Masters – Jim Nance, like, wants to put on a violin behind his words and act like they landed on the
0: moon or something. It makes the one shiny moment that much more special.
1: one shine.
0: CJ Jackson was his in there crying. His moment Like, that's like – that sucks. Like, that's not the one shiny moment I would ever want. I think like, if you win at least one game. You got to put – yeah, put a real moment – first of all, it should have been Keyshawn hitting that shot in the first game in the corner over – Against uh, Iowa State because that's a big time shot. No argument. Like, like, why would you put that? Like that Buckeye take. Ohio State
1: got jobbed in one (laughs) shining (laughs) moment by Stephen Means. I'd read that. Uh, This is. We'll get into this because it's not spring game related, but it's interesting. We'll get more spring game stuff. James Frederick at James FB six one seven. As a journalist that covers both the NFL and college, what's your take on the talk about
0: Dwayne Haskins sliding in draft predictions? So you don't cover the NFL, but I'll let you start. What's up? This is not the first time I've had the conversation with somebody about what's up with Dwayne Haskins sliding. My mother was asking me about it. She outraged? Yeah, she was a little confused about it. Like, what's going on here? Uh... I like to say my baseline is that NFL
1: people are idiots, but, uh, (laughs) we gotta go more than that.
0: (laughs) I don't understand, like, if, 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 if it is true that he actually is sliding in, in draft projections, I'm not really sure why, um, but then I am sure why, because there's people in the national media, (coughs) Stephen A. Smith, who thought he was more of a runner than a thrower. So, uh, if you watch Dwayne Haskins play this year, you know for certain that that man is a top 10 draft pick and no lower. So I'm, I I will just say that I don't think people actually watched him enough if they're saying that he's sliding in draft projections this year, especially in the last two to three games. So
1: it's only about the type of quarterback you want. And so a lot of, you know, there's no secrets with Dwayne Haskins. Uh, Some people are misreading. I I, I think I put this in our good old text message group, which you guys should join, Um, a couple weeks ago or a week ago. I think there's a misread on him to some degree. Again, I've made this argument a lot of places, a lot of different ways, a lot of different times. To me, it's Dwayne Haskin that raised, Haskins that raised the level of the Ohio State receivers in 2018, not the receivers who raised the level of Dwayne Haskins. Albert Breer, who's an Ohio State grad and a friend of the program, wrote about this. I was jealous of it because I think it was a great take on things. Plus, he got Sashi Brown to talk on the record, which I was jealous of as well. But he wrote a thing that you guys should go read for Monday Morning Quarterback, and I think it made a very salient point about the idea that Dwayne Haskins is not just competing with Daniel Jones and Drew Luck and Kyler Murray and the other quarterbacks, Will Greer, other quarterbacks in this draft class. He's competing with Tua Tonga-Bailoa. He's competing with Trevor Lawrence. He's competing with the guys coming down the pike. Mm -hmm. Because, for instance, if you're the New York Giants and you're picking sixth, right, if you take Dwayne Haskins, it doesn't mean you can't take Tua next year. But just like how the Cardinals are probably going to take Kyler Murray after they took Josh Rosen, it doesn't really make sense. It creates a problem for yourself because now you have two quarterbacks. You, nobody can have a team with two quarterbacks that you took in the top ten. It's a waste of resources. you got to get rid of one of the quarterbacks. You're selling the guy you drafted previously for 75 cents on the dollar. It doesn't make sense. So if you're the Giants, and Sashi Brown told Albert this, and it's a lot of what, what went on with the Browns, If you're really down, you wait until you have your team built to get your quarterback. You don't get your quarterback and then build because a good quarterback on a rookie contract with a potentially winning team is the most valuable resource in the NFL, like the Browns have with Baker Mayfield right now. If they had Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz would be entering his fourth season with the Browns right now. right? Baker Mayfield's entering year two. Carson Wentz would be coming up on the end of his rookie contract. Baker Mayfield's only in year two. This is your time to win. The reason the Browns can add Odell Beckham and Sheldon Richardson and Olivier Vernon and Paige Arvis Landry is because Baker Mayfield's making nothing. You have to hit this window. So if the Giants think they're down, they just traded Beckham, they just traded Vernon, if they think they're down and they're at the start of this window, maybe you don't want any quarterback right now because you want to build around him first and then drop the quarterback in. Also, and this is not an affront to Dwayne Haskins, two is probably a better prospect. Trevor Lawrence is undoubtedly a better prospect. So it is hard to play the game of we're going to draft our quarterback in two drafts. But maybe some teams want to play that game. So then you enter a situation where maybe Dwayne Haskins makes more sense a little bit later in the round for a team that is not in a complete rebuild. For a team that thinks, man, this guy's good. We're never going to be bad enough to get in the top five. So if Dwayne Haskins is there at 12 or 16 or 9 or whatever, we'll grab him then. He's being projected to the Bengals right now a lot. The Bengals collapsed in the second half last year, right? The Bengals maybe are trending the wrong way. However, you know what? They're not a catastrophe. They have some pieces. They still have A.J. Green. They've they've drafted a lot of Buckeyes, Sam Hubbard, Billy Price, Right. They're not in the same space where the Giants are, where the Giants are a mess. So maybe Dwayne Haskins fits more for the Bengals who are willing to say, well, we're never going to get Tua or Trevor Lawrence, but we're, we're getting ready to replace Andy Dalton. Let's get Dwayne Haskins. And he doesn't make as much sense for people who want to draft a defensive end or a different position and then bank on Tua in 2020. That is something that I had not really thought about a great deal Previously, because to me, if you're drafting – now, if the Giants draft Drew Locke or Daniel Jones at number six instead of Dwayne Haskins,
0: they are certifiable. That's what I was thinking. That's not he's sliding while other quarterbacks are climbing the projections. But if you're going to say it in a way where it's like they're going to just put off drafting a quarterback for another year, I can understand that just because of what the Cardinals just went through. Because I've said – and this is, again, it's not an affront to Dwayne
1: Haskins. I think I would have him behind Baker and Darnold as – if he was in the draft class with the guys last year, yeah. I would have had him no higher than third. And and if you think he's behind Kyler, and that, you know, like so, it, when you start playing that game, which is why, and I and I railed about this, and this is not a Browns podcast, but you could never evaluate the Browns passing on Carson Wentz until they got their quarterback. Because when you pass on a quarterback – they if this is a fact, if the Browns had drafted Carson Wentz, they would not have Baker Mayfield. No, that's a fact. So that must go into your evaluation of passing on Carson Wentz. And it should have gone into your evaluation of passing on Carson Wentz in the moment. Because as I said a thousand times, they were not going to get to the end of a rebuild and say, whoops, we forgot to get a quarterback. The Giants are going to replace Eli Manning at some point. Maybe they aren't going to do it this year. Maybe they're going to try to gamble, wait, stink, have higher than the sixth pick next year. Let Eli drive this train straight into the ground, go 2 and 14 and draft Tua. And if that's your strategy and that's why Dwayne Haskins falls, then so be it. If he is falling because people think he only threw short passes at Ohio State, because he was only a one year starter at Ohio State, because they would not bench an all-time Buckeye and JT Barrett when Dwayne Haskins was ready, that's not Dwayne Haskins' fault. If you're not going to do it because you don't think he's mobile enough, that's true. He's not very mobile. And again, if people are like, people said he's not. That's fine. He's not. I don't think he needs to be mobile because Tom Brady's not mobile. And who did I hear? Was I reading? Somebody was comparing him to Tom Brady in that he's the most Tom Brady-like quarterback in this draft only from the standpoint of, That's not crazy. He gets he escapes pressure by getting rid of the ball before it gets there. Yeah, that's
0: that's not crazy. When
1: you first hear it, you're like, that's the best quarterback of all time, but like that's not crazy. It just means it's just a way to talk about a guy who's not mobile, but it's not a death blow to Tom Brady that he's not mobile. A great way to deal with pressure is get rid of the ball, is to identify the pressure, have a great understanding of defenses, Mm. make a great read and hit your hot receiver. You don't have to run around like a maniac, just get rid of it. He did that a lot last year. So I believe that he raised the level of the receivers. I just saw there was a tweet here today. Someone had put had a gif of like um, someone was talking about crossing routes. The crossing routes don't work when a linebacker's there. And it was Paris Campbell running a crossing route, and it was incomplete, and the linebacker almost picked it off. And I was like, man, that was a bad throw, Dwayne. And then I looked, and it wasn't Dwayne. It was from 2017. <laughs> it was J.T. Barrett. And it was like, by the way, how good did Paris Campbell look in that gif? He didn't look very good at all. Why? Because J.T. Barrett waited a second too long to throw him the ball. Dwayne Haskins would have thrown it earlier. Paris Campbell would have looked great. So I'm not running down any of the receivers. I'm just saying if you are trying to use the receivers – To run down Dwayne Haskins, you don't understand the Ohio State offense. And I do think there are some teams who are getting a bad read on him from game film that they don't understand the entire complexity of the situation at Ohio State. And again, I get the idea. Mitch Trubisky was a one-year starter. Dwayne Haskins was a one-year starter. It's not Dwayne Haskins' fault he was a one-year starter. And I don't think coming back to Ohio State to start again this year, what would Dwayne Haskins, let's spin it this way,
0: what would Dwayne Haskins have gotten out of another year at Ohio State? Probably just a Heisman, maybe. That's about it. Or at least he'd have competed for one and maybe tried to break the records he said last year. But, like, I don't think anybody would have learned anything new about it. It's not like he was going to come back and all of a sudden he's running a 4-4. Would he have been a better quarterback? Uh I don't know how much better he can get as far as development at the college level at this point. And like everybody gets better with experience, but I don't think there's a hole in his
1: game as a thrower. Yeah. Where you say, well, he would have gotten better at this or getting better at that. So I just I think he did the right thing for himself. And if if people are if people are looking at his skill set or his stats or his film and finding finding a flaw other than, man, we want our quarterback to be more mobile. Okay, if you just
0: want a style of quarterback, if it's something else. You're wrong. When, when you say when it's something else, meaning like the wide receivers are the reason why, do you think the fact that the wide receivers had such a great combine and they've really surprised people, especially Terry McLaurin, do you think that plays a role? Well, it's one of those things that's like
1: Daniel Jones and Drew Locke were not throwing to receivers as good as Paris Campbell. Right. Terry McLaurin, KJ Hill and Johnny Dixon. Okay. I get that. But, but yes, I do think that like some of these guys have popped that they did McLaurin and Campbell were two of the stories of the combine. Mm -hmm they're great athletes they have great speed like are they tremendous like they ran solid routes they, and again i hate the idea of like well you've got to say something negative about somebody but it's just the i'm telling the you man in their
0: hands and then let them be who they were
1: look at 2017 yeah did they look like that what uh-huh. changed it's not yes brian hartline got in here and said zach smith i think that mattered yes credit to them they got better as they got older but what they got really changed?
0: Under the, the guy who was throwing them the ball. Quarterback change.
1: Whoop whoop whoop. Eloy asked like five questions in a row. Um, Eloy R. Hernandez at Eloy 017. What is the most important question Ohio State needs to leave spring, knowing the answer to? Offensive line, linebackers, did we hire the right coaches, etc.? They only have a couple practices left. What what is if Ryan Day the main thing that you hope he, he is feeling good about, that he needed to feel good about. It's
0: only 15 practices. Mm what does the thing you needed to feel good about the most linebackers because they were not good last year and i think i mean the easy question is the quarterback i feel like he needs to have like some type of like direction but i think the linebackers see that there's a vast improvement especially when you're changing so much you're going to have a hybrid guy and the bullet guy you're going to only going to have two linebackers out there on a consistent basis i think there needs to be if any group needs to have like a night and day as far as where they were in practice one to where they are in practice 15. I think it's the linebackers.
1: I think I agree with that. I think I'm going to expand a little bit just to like the defense in general, the idea that, that all the things that he has said and every coach has said a thousand times, which is simplify and let these guys play fast, that that is happening, that the scheme, that the way they're being instructed by the new defensive coaches, the scheme in place from the new defensive coaches, which has been done at Ryan Day's direction that all of that is giving the whole defense a greater chance to maximize its talent. That, I think, is the number one thing. Linebackers, I think, is the first group among that Mm -hmm. where you would look for that. But I think 1 through 11 across the board, that's the number one thing. And I I would guess, again, these some of these young guys we've talked about popping a little bit that, that people are excited about. Josh Proctor and Teron Vincent and Tabi Togiai and Toronto Mitchell and Baron Browning and some of these young players that when we saw practice the other day, I thought Jeffrey Okuda and Damon Arnett both looked good. Like all of that, I think is some proof of like, yeah, I think maybe that most important thing, I think maybe it did happen. Mm-hmm. This is a quick one. I'm, Eloy, you asked five questions. We're going to answer three. <laughs> What's Day's favorite play, the go to play? So, it's, it's interesting. We talked about this so much in 17, these mesh routes over the middle where the receivers cross and you get to shed, um, shed a defender to some degree. And then oftentimes that they do a mesh and that receiver would settle down in a little hole in the middle of the defense. And I remember when, when they did it in 2017, um, We were like all mesmerized by it. It's a big part of the Chip Kelly offense, I think. And I think we were just like, wow, what is this? And it's just normal. Just something they really hadn't done as much before. But they were really good at it. And I remember talking to Ryan Day about that at the time and about that working. And he said, this is like midway through the year, and he said, well, what's going to happen now is defenses are going to be ready for it. And then we're going to do the next thing. So it's like that worked and now we're going to wait for them to sit on that receiver who sits in the hole and you just did the deep ball thing. Now we're going to send somebody as soon as you maybe get an extra safety sucking up on that because that works all the time. Now you hit him over the top. I think what Ryan Day, his favorite go-to play is the adjustment off the thing that works. I think – and that is, again – I I just made fun of people who think that their thing is special. Ryan Day is is no different than any other really good offensive mind. It's the same thing with Freddie Kitchens. It's It's the same thing with Sean McVitt. It's that next thing. Mm. It's that next thing where you establish something and then what? What's the wrinkle off the thing that worked? And I just like the way Ryan Day talks about that. Um, He was really ready last year for Michigan's man-to-man defense. They were loaded for that defense. They knew exactly what they wanted to do and they did it. So... But I do think the idea of what you want to watch with its Ohio State team, we're not going to see it in the spring game, but in the fall, watch what they do and then watch what they do next. Watch Justin Fields establish something that works and then what comes off of that. Watch them do something in the run game. I would watch for some of these handoffs to the slot guy. I think a guy like Garrett Wilson is going to get some handoffs this year, which we haven't ever seen before. Ohio State only gives handoffs to the H-back. They're going to run some straight-up receivers in motion, hand them the ball sometimes. They're going to try to pop some stuff, I think, in the middle of the field off these handoffs to receivers in motion, and then watch. Now watch everybody suck up on Garrett Wilson, and now maybe you run
0: a speed option with Justin Fields and J.K. Dobbins the opposite way off that. Yeah, he said that today, talking about, like, Finding things to complement J.K. Dobbins, and that will be just getting the ball out in the perimeter. They did that a little bit last last year, especially with those jet sweeps. I think the options they have to do it this year will be interesting because it's not just going to be Paris Campbell or K.J. Hill. So uh,
1: he's, a good, he's a good offensive mind. He's a good offensive <laughs> mind. Last Eloy question. God, this is deep. This is deep. If you had one last article to write about the Buckeyes, what is the title of the article? Something you've always wanted to write about but maybe never had the opportunity. Hmm. So there's two things. There was one I definitely had in mind. Neither are specifically about the Buckeyes um, football team, but I do think like a deep investigation of just how the Ohio State Athletic Department works from a financial standpoint. Thirty-six sports is the largest athletic department in the country. There's always a debate about like I'm very interested in some of these sports. Like, and I'm not here. Well, I am. I was gonna. I was gonna hedge it. I'm not gonna hedge it. They have too many sports. I think if you have a sport that is a very tiny amount of people play and no fans care about it and it costs you a certain amount of money... I get a university providing opportunities, but I'm not sure why a university has to provide an opportunity in a sport that nobody cares about. Provide those opportunities in some academic field. Provide those opportunities in some artistic field. I'm not asking you to reduce the number of students on scholarship. I'm just saying take those scholarships away from this random sport nobody give two hoots about and give them the 10 more kids who are smart. Um, a dive into this athletic department and to think about why they do all the things they do. And, it, and um, that sounds like a negative thing, but – Ohio State has so much money and they provide so many opportunities and they do so many things, I think, sort of because that's the way it's done. That if you sort of question, it's almost like going through a budget line by line. Like, could you line by line item veto the Ohio State Athletic Department when they build a giant new rowing building for millions and millions of dollars? Is that the best use of the money that Ohio State has, right? And, And I'm not trying to pick on small sports, but when they build a waterfall in the locker room and all that stuff. I just think examining the finances, you could investigate the entire question of amateurism and money in college sports, and I don't think there would be any better lens to do it than the Ohio State Athletic Department. There's a world where I like just take a year away from everything else and just do that, and I think it'd be interesting. The other thing that if I ever write a book – and I never will because I'm too lazy. Um, the thing that I've – here's the thing. I have two sports novels in my head that are completely written. And yes. I keep pledging to myself that I'm going to take three months. If I write a 1,000 words a day for three months, that's 90,000 words, that would do it. Um, one's about baseball. One's about college football. I don't know if anybody wants to read those. I think if I die before I write them, I will have regret. So I would like to do that. I keep telling myself I'll do it in May. If I do it May, June, July – By July 31st, I will have a 90,000-word novel about college football. I would love to, like, put pressure on myself, like, make myself do it. The idea is out there. I've told a couple people about the idea, but I think they also say when you're writing a book, don't tell people the idea. Keep that energy contained so the only way to get it out is by typing it out.
0: You'll probably just have to, like, one day, like, just be like, screw it, and just start going and go as far as you can. And then like – because then you'll have like something started. Cause yeah. Because I think your thing is like once you – I think most people, it's like once you start something, like, okay, you feel like there's like you have to finish it in like mentality. So yeah. So if you feel like I have a day where you just like go for it and see how much you can get done. Yeah, because I, I mean I write – there are days where I write 3,000 words
1: for work. So it's like I could write 3,000 words a day for my novel. You know, I did like, I'm doing these Browns capsules. I did like four Browns capsules the other day. They were like 900 words each. Yeah. I did them in one day. So the book, the actual nonfiction book is to take the Ohio State Florida national championship game in 2006 and use it as a springboard for the rise of the SEC because that Ohio State Michigan one okay. versus two game at the end of 2006 was sort of like the end of, of was, was the last time Anybody had a, a conversation about the most dominant teams in college football and did not have the SEC in that mm-hmm. conversation. And then it's the fr- the framework is that you have that, and then lo and behold, the guy who begins the rise of the SEC comes, comes the back, Ten. comes ends up coming back to Ohio State to then win Ohio the Big Ten's first national title in 12 years. That Ohio Urban Meyer beating Ohio State sort of signaled. The, the Not the end, but the, the dip of the Big Ten and the rise of the SEC. And then the only guy who could fight back against the SEC was, an SEC was guy. that guy. And so I think there's things you could delve into with Meyer at Florida and Nick Saban at Alabama and Les Miles at LSU. And what happened during the Jim Trestler era at Ohio State. And then like all that. And it's kind of an Urban Meyer book, but it's bigger than an Urban Meyer book. And it would just take (laughs) – it would just take too much work. (laughs) (coughs) There you go. But I think like if you – and for it wouldn't only be – but I think you'd have an audience because it would be like
0: for SEC fans and Ohio State fans. The preference is like the whole statement of you either die here or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. But Urban Meyer did the opposite.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean it, it really longer
0: you know, and saw himself become a hero.
1: To think about that, to really delve back into urban, the urban of two thousand six and then Sabin following with the knowledge now yeah. of how it all turned out that Sabin turns into arguably the greatest college football coach of all time. And the fact that
0: Ohio State had to go through an SEC team in order to get that first championship. Yeah,
1: I mean like you begin you start with I think you'd start with the Ohio State Michigan game, almost as the prologue, but really chapter one is the Ohio State Florida national championship game, and then the last chapter is Ohio State Alabama. That's good. If you want to write it, there's somebody out there listening to this and thinking that's a good idea. I <laughs> gave you a lot. <laughs> I, I didn't tell you my novel because that's for me and I still want to write it. That I'm probably never going to write. And, and I don't know. I mean it's not like other people haven't had that idea. It's like could I get Urban to talk like – to do like eight hours of interviews on that? It's like but could I get Saban? Maybe. Gosh, maybe I should write that. Anyway, um, so that's what I would write about. Do you have any books in you? I don't know how I'll follow
0: that. Not at the moment. I've I'm been 45. I've yeah, been thinking about this stuff. I haven't done this long enough to think about a book. Type.
1: My first novel in my head, I started – I mean I wrote like a chapter of it like when I was 24. Yeah. And so it's only been sitting in my computer for 21 years. Uh, it's like in a Commodore 64. So, had,
0: as, a, as a guy who's from Ohio, I don't know if like uh, – this isn't a book. I don't think I – mean, I've been thinking about it since I was like 16. Uh, I don't know if it's a book or if it's just a 16-year-old just being bitter about his hometown. I've always – sorry. I've always like – Looked at, I think the, the Thad Mata situation and the fact that like he started missing on so many Ohio products and Michigan is still reaping the benefits of that, even though Thad Mata's not here. And you know it starts with, you know, it starts with you know, obviously you got Greg Oden from Indiana and Michael Colley, but Indiana also wasn't good, so like right. that was easier to do. Then then you do it. You in 2010 you go get Ohio guys. Five of those six guys were from Ohio. And they played, not only were they from Ohio, they played on the same AAU team. Like, all of them played on the same AAU team, and two of them went to the same school, high school. And then there's a guy in the next class right behind that who is the Mr. Basketball following Jared Sellinger who had won it two times in a row. He joined that list of guys who won it as a junior and a senior. And then you get another guy who's the Mr. Basketball of the state from the same school, from the same AAU program. And somehow, not only do you never offer him, but you kind of just treat him like he's not, you know, like he's just a sidekick. You're talking about Trey Burke. Yeah, I'm talking about Trey Burke. Um, and I think the irony of the fact that he ends up at the rival school, where then he, he's a the national consensus, the consensus national player of the year. They go to the national championship. That's one thing. But then you also lose Karis Levert to Michigan, who's an NBA player now and was probably on an All Star level before he got hurt this year. Free Star guy. He was a three, yeah, three-star guy, so you can forgive that one a little bit. Cause he's a le- little bit of a late But boomer. that
1: year, Ohio State, I think that year, Ohio State was looking for guys late, and they took Amadeo della Valle from Italy. Yeah. I think at the same time that Karras was out
0: there late. Cause he, he, like his, um, gross level, o- OU. Yep. And so he was able to reopen his commitment. So I, I can forgive you from that one. But since that time, you've seen so, like, Trey, uh, Trayvon Jackson is another guy from Ohio who played in a national championship at Wisconsin. there has been so many Ohio guys Who have gone to not other just other schools, but other Big Ten schools, and then have like had team success or individual success, and just seeing how that played out. How it starts with it starts with the fact that you went for the Ohio guys. You did exactly what like you should do. You start with see how much talent is in your state. You see Ryan Day doing that now with his recruiting classes, trying to get the four and five star guys from his state. Let's start there, and we'll work our way around everywhere else. Dad might have started off doing that and then went away from that, and it started of start, started to lead to the, his demise as a coach. Make
1: an outline. Make an outline. If there are any agents out there, we're available. <laughs> uh, Nikki Unders, I don't know if this is a question about the spring game or overall, but... But we'll answer both. What's your expectation of run-pass split for the offense, and how do you expect they split up the offensive skill players between the teams with Baldwin and and Fields? So to that point about how they're going to split up the offensive players, I I mean, again, I think think they'll both play with different guys, right? Yeah. And again, like – I'll be curious to see how much Austin Mack plays and how much Ben Victor plays as seniors. Like, Austin's coming back. He's been healthy all spring after the foot injury last year. Like, do you want to give him a little bit of run or would you be cautious with that for some reason? I doubt either of them play after the first half. See, when, but, just, when it gets to a running
0: clock. Because the I thing,
1: the thing that's plays. hard is, I think you're probably right, but like on some level, it's like, well, even if the receivers are old, they haven't played with either of these quarterbacks. Right. You know, so on some level, it's like, man, I'd like to see Austin Mack and Ben Victor. Get some serious snaps with both Fields and Baldwin. So I, I don't think we have a good a good answer, Nikki Under's, because we don't have a sense for sure other than ones because like they say ones versus ones, two, twos versus twos. But like for instance, that receiver, we don't know what that means. Like, well, who's the ones? Well, they're all ones. Right. So how
0: do they? So does that mean the first unit plays a ridiculous amount in the first two, especially offensively? Obviously, like. It- the defensive line—they've got so many guys that they can rotate very, very quickly, and you don't necessarily have to have Chase Young out there for a long time. But offensively, maybe the best maybe they're thinking that the whole first half you're going to see maybe 75% first team, and then like the second I, half is—I, I, I, my guess would be that they'll rotate series to series. I think you'll go
1: ones, then you'll go twos, then maybe you'll go ones again, and you'll and then you just rotate them twos, around, then you go threes, then you go ones again, then you go twos, mm-hmm. and like. A lot of times, sometimes it's like, well, what are they right now? Are they wonder, too. Sometimes, like, the line is the best way to tell. But, yeah. but, again, Austin Mack will be out there maybe with the one sometimes, maybe with the two sometimes. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I think it's going to be just a little more disjointed than we're used to. So I don't think we have a lot of great answers. And I think they will
0: throw it with thud tackling, like a lot of run plays. Don't make there's sense. Not, there's not a like, lot. They go through the hole and then. They go seven yards and then everybody's surrounding them and you're blowing a whistle. So you, and you want to see the quarterbacks and they threw it around a lot last year with Joe Burrow and Dwayne Haskins in a quarterback competition. Yeah. I think they want to throw it around. Like we know what Dobbins is going to do. So like there's no point, they know what Dobbins is going to do. So there's no point of you giving him the ball 20 times on Saturday.
1: And you want to get a sense of what this line's going to look like run blocking, but like Thayer Munford's not here this, this spring. Josh Alby's had the flu. Um, Jonah Jackson's not in yet. So, again, you're not you – just give those guys some chances to pass block. Let the, let the defensive ends try to get some pass rush. I think that's just the – I think we'll see more, more passing than running.
0: Would you have been against if they had said like, – because this was asked, um, I think, two practices ago, the idea of 7-on-7?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I, don't, I don't know that I've ever seen anybody do that. So, like, in a spring game situation, it's fun when they do it at practice. Um. So, I, I mean, if you did some component of that in the spring game, I think people would love it. I think you'd get something out of it. I think yeah. it, it'd be really cool. Um. Especially I just don't when know. You're not
0: tackling technically,
1: you're not hitting the quarterback anyway. But that's no. just not. I mean, that's just not. The, that's not what a spring game is. I don't know. I'll be very curious. There are some teams that just have more of an open practice than a spring game. They don't even call it a spring game. I'll be curious in the future if Ryan Day moves toward that at all. Um, I've done a lot of posts over the years about spring game attendance and Ohio State beating Nebraska and like what a big deal it is and all this stuff. And they drew a hundred thousand for the spring game here one year, which is just bonkers when you think about it again. Construction, uh, this year means they'll only can top out at 76,000. But the idea that a hundred thousand people show up for a spring game is, is a testament to how much people love Ohio State football. But also, if you're going to have a hundred thousand people show up, you got to give them a game. Yeah. So if you're gonna if you're if you're not gonna do a game and it's gonna be more of an open practice, then you have to change the name of it. I think. So they're not there. I'm just very curious to see how this goes. What's your prediction for standout players on both sides of the ball? This is Tyler Feeney one. Guys who have a chance to steal a show like Malik Hooker in 2016 and Michael Thomas in 2012. So we were talking before about guys we were most excited to see, um, guys who could steal the show. Um, I'll say.
0: I mean, maybe you'll say Garrett Wilson again because that was your answer to yeah, who you like, want to see. I think a wide receiver is like a good bet there just because, you know, everybody likes to see amazing catches.
1: You know what? I'll say um, we just talked about not running the ball. I'll say two guys. I'll say Jalen Gill at H-back because he's a guy who's never played, so uh-huh. they're going to let him play a lot. They want to see what he can do. K.J. Hill's is barely going to play at all, I bet. Yeah, I think Jalen Gill will play a lot, and he's a guy who certainly has the ability to flash. And maybe Marcus Crowley, just because Ryan Day brought him up. I was going to say Master Teague. Early enrolled freshman this year um, at running back. Demario McCall has not practiced all spring, so the answer can't be Demario. But we're, we've talked a lot about, like, behind JK, what are you going to do? Uh, Master Teague and Marcus Crowley are the two answers if Demario McCall is not healthy. Um, so I think either of them could be guys that, again, they're going to be out there. They're going to have a yeah. chance to do it. Uh, and then the other guy defensively, and it's because I keep saying his name all the time and I'm just waiting for him to make plays and get a chance to show what he can do, is Seven Banks at corner. Um, clearly a second-team corner along with Tyreek Johnson. Again, I don't think Okuda and Arnett are going to get too much run necessarily. So I think Seven Banks is a guy you might see make a couple plays on deep balls or make a pick or something like that.
0: I'm interested in Sean Wade. He'll he'll play DB, but he'll. I'm pretty sure he's also taking some reps at the bullet position as well.
1: No, so. no, no bullet for Sean Wade. Really? No, no, no. I mean, he's like slot corner safety. He's not bullet though. He's not bullet. Bullet. He's not big enough for bullet, right? Brendan White. I know we've looked. He. It, it depends. It depends what you're talking about with the bullet. But there's a, a, a situation where he's going to be on the field, but when he's in groups in practice, he's with the corners. He's not with the linebackers. He's with, he's with Okuda and Arnett and Johnson and Banks. But he was also mentioned by Ryan Day today. Again, Yeah, right? And that's not the first time he's mentioned him. Like that's, uh, you know, that's not great reporting. But it's like, who's the coach talk about? He's There's a couple guys that he's mentioned because he often gets asked a question basically along the, along the lines of who looks good. And he can say anybody he wants. He can use that answer to motivate guys who look like crap. He can use it to soothe the egos of guys who are worried about playing time. Or he can answer it honestly to, to say, these guys look great. He said Josh Proctor a couple times. He said Garrett Wilson every time. Yeah. And he said Sean Wade a couple times. So I don't know. If I was a player, I'd want my name in the coach's mouth, right? All right, we're going to get back. We're going to go to uh, – that's a good run of Twitter questions. We'll get back with some uh, basketball questions now, and some of them we're leaning a little bit basketball from the, uh, the email questions. So um, let's delve into this from Kyle Ledzenowski, Kyle from Toledo. Can you guys discuss – Doug and Steven, can you guys discuss the expected starters, the rotation, the depth chart for the basketball team – uh, assume that either Daniel Giddens or a different transfer center in the fold. We assume that Carton, Gaffney, and Liddell as true freshmen are all going to play. That means some guys' minutes are going to have to drop. Um, and who are the guys at the end of the bench? He's talking about Ohio State getting top 10 preseason recognition. Are these polls getting my hopes way too high? Thanks as always. Keep up the good work, Kyle from Toledo. So let's deal with the second thing first. Chris Holtman was asked about this when we were in there, what do you make of this idea of them being in the way too early
0: polls, looked at as a top 15, maybe a top 10 team? I'm not going to say they're a top 10 team. I think 15 to 20 is a, is a good area for them to live in right now. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see what Chris Holtman does. Coaching a team where, you know, he's no longer expect in a position where he's going to overachieve. I don't think he's ever been in that position where, like, he's coaching a team where, you know if. They are uh, a top five team in the country. That's over-exaggerated. But no one's going to like, you know, wow, look at the coaching job Chris Holtman did. But if they have a season like they had this year next year, people are going to be like, what are you doing? This is not – what they did this year is not going to be impressive next year. So it's going to be interesting from that standpoint to see now what the expectations raise a little. And he even said that. 8-12 is not good enough. Right. In 12 was good enough this year. It's not going to be good enough going to- forward. So he's already kind of shifted. In- he kind of did it after they lost an NCAA tournament as well, where he kind of started to talk as if, like, he was already in next season mode, where it's like we need to start competing for championships. And uh, it's to see him still talk, he's already kind of in that. mode. it would be, be interesting to see how the players feel about that. But it seems like the coaching staff has already shifted into this is no longer, like, rebuild mode anymore. So – we hope you guys are reading cleveland.com.
1: No, 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 no. We don't hope you're reading cleveland.com. We insist that you read cleveland.com if you listen to Buckeye Talk from cleveland.com. Stephen wrote a story after the season kind of running through the team for next year. So why don't you give sort of an a encapsulated version of how you think this rotation might look next year?
0: Okay. So I'm just going to go. Here's my starting five. DJ Carton, Luther Muhammad, Andre Wesson, EJ, EJ Liddell. And Caleb West, and those are going to be my five stars. Now, Caleb- and we'll talk about Caleb in a moment. let yeah. deal. Let's pretend for this in exercise that he's back. That he's coming back. Card is exactly what they did not have last year. They did not have a true point guard running the team. They had two guys who were more like combo guards who, if you tell me, hey, this is your backup point guard, oh, that's solid. But neither of those guys, Keyshawn Woods or CJ Jackson, were solid players, but neither one of them should have been a starting point guard. And CJ Jackson, he has admitted on multiple occasions that he didn't come here with the intentions of being the starting point guard. Card is going to be a lot better than I think his ranking shows, um, and I'm writing a story right now and look for that next week on Carton and you know where he has how good he actually can be. Um, the last time Ohio State got a point guard in that type of vicinity where he was a top 30 player in the country. That guy ended up playing himself into being a one and done guy. Those two guys were D'Angelo Russell and Michael Conley. I think DJ Carden has the ability to be that good. Now, whether he's a one and done actual... He's the number
1: 28 player in the country. Yeah. You said he could be a lot better. Yeah. You think he can be a lot better than number 28 player in the country? Yeah. Like you I do. think he's underrated, as, yeah. think he's underrated under? as a number 28 player? You underrated as
0: a four-star guy? Okay. He's a number four. He he wasn't a McDonald's All American this year. Okay, but you think he can be as good as the McDonald's All Americans? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I think, like, he's, yeah, he didn't make it officially, but he's an unofficial McDonald's All American for me. So, yeah, he solves a lot of issues you did, you had last season, so right there, you've already checked off a box. Luther Muhammad, you gotta move faster through the next couple of guys. Okay. You can't do 20 minutes, 5 okay. minutes on each. All right, Alright, fine. Luther Mohammed's gotta be better. Uh, I think he was great at the beginning of the season, but he kind of fell off fell off at the end of the season. I think if he comes back better, that'd be great. Andre Weston's going to be versatile and be able to do a lot of different things offensively and defensively. He's the only senior on this team, so he's the leader. EJ Liddell is another versatile guy. Their they're three and four are pretty much interchangeable in the starting lineup, and I think that's going to be fun. It's going to be interesting to see Liddell and Caleb Wesson kind of operate with each other because both of them have the ability to shoot outside and play in the post so they can kind of play off of each other. So that'll be interesting from that standpoint. The one guy on their bench who is going to be the biggest if, and Holtman talked about today, and that's Alonzo Gaffney. His entire career has been built off the word potential. Potential just means you haven't done anything yet, and people think you can do some things. He can play three, maybe four positions. because You've seen Ohio State go small last year. I think they can go small with him this year. He can guard all five positions in college basketball. So it's going to be it, I think his development, I think, is going to be the key to a lot of things for Ohio State. So who do you think – how deep will the rotation be next year? By the time they get to maybe By February? Yeah. Nine. Nine guys consistently. I think Dwayne Washington Jr. and Justin Irons will be like scenario. I mean, okay. Which one they use. If they need shooting, they're going to go with Irons. If they need somebody who can put the ball in the basket or at least get his own shot off, they'll go with Dwayne Washington Jr.
1: Okay. And then
0: who else? Kyle Young for yeah. now is the backup to Caleb Wesson. Uh C.J. Walker obviously is going to back up – uh D.J. Carden, and then Alonzo Gaffney is going to be the guy who just – let's just play some here, 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 and here. And right, Daniel Giddens right now is a – And you didn't include Musa. Musa started in the NCAA tournament. He did start in the NCAA tournament. That was last year. His defense won't get him a role? Not in a year where he's not the only – this year, his – Is he the best defender on the team? Nah, that's debatable. I think this year, a combination of a lack of talent, plus he plays really solid down the stretch – got him on the court, and the fact that he and Andre were the only two really versatile guys, mm-hmm. they're not the only two versatile guys anymore. All right, let's do this quickly.
1: Caleb Wesson has entered the NBA draft, um, but dudes can enter now and come back out and be in college next year very, very easily. Chris Holtman talked about it. It was officially announced today um, by Chris Holtman. He's back, right? Yeah, he's not going to. The NBA. I mean, and, and again, it's like we don't—we no. don't want to have to end up like talking down Caleb Wesson of like you're not going to the NBA. But he has some things he can do to make himself a better NBA draft prospect.
0: Correct. Yeah. For one, he needs to get—he still needs to continue to get into better shape. Two, the NBA doesn't have a lot of guys with Caleb Wesson's like style, as far as like that big guy, like Jared Sullinger style. Like Jared got into the league, but like he didn't—he's not a ten-year vet. Yeah, his back injury yeah, messed him up a little bit. It but. did, but like that, like that type of pl- the big baby Davises of the world, you don't see a lot of those guys yeah. in the NBA right now. So, I mean, it's great that you're getting an opportunity to test the wires a little bit, but he's coming back next year. And I think a lot of this, I mean, I think there
1: should, it should be a good thing in the end. You get out there, you get evaluated, you have other people evaluate your game, tell you where you stand, mm-hmm. tell you what you can work on. Um, this should be a good thing for Caleb Weston. So like nobody should be mad at him that yeah. he's testing it and, But I also don't think anybody should be worried that they're going to lose him right now. I think he's a really good player. And and it's a credit – like if a fan would be worried, like that's a credit to Caleb Wesson because that's how important he is to them. Because that would be – now, we just said he's not going anywhere. But if he did leave, that would leave – that would change this team to quite a degree next year, right? Because this is a team – we saw the three games he missed this year. And yes, they're going to have a point guard next year. And yes, they're going to have a couple more guys that can score. But don't you – will this team still work in a lot of ways, work inside out next year? That you start with Caleb and then you create shooters and driving opportunities based off of him?
0: Yeah, I think that's still the the main objective. When you've got a guy like Caleb Wesson in college basketball, you get him the ball. I think the only difference is it won't be – it's Caleb or nothing. That's the only – it's still the main objective, but it's not like all is lost if it can't happen. All right, so this is an email from Andrew
1: W. who's wound up and – I respect it. Um, I'm going to skim it a little bit. I mean, I'm going to, yeah. Doug and Steven, a question for you. What is with the slobbering love fest for Chris Holtman? What I see is a coach badly in over his head producing subpar results. By their second year, Thad Mata had won the Big Ten and been a two seed. Jim O'Brien made the Final Four. Holtman, by contrast, is praised for having an 11 seed. Uh and having done so with a better cupboard of players than either Mata Mata or O'Brien inherited both Mata and O'Brien in year two had teams that achieved better records in their first years. Not the case with Holtman. Holtman's record declined. By year three of Thad Mata, we had the Fad Five incoming and were a preseason favorite to win the title. In year three of Jim O'Brien, we were preseason number four. In year three of Holtman, we'll be lucky to be ranked, which is not factually correct. This year's team was bad, worse than any virtually worse than virtually any team of the Fad Mata era. The young players barely contributed, and the team was lifeless against good opponents. We fired Thad for missing the tournament, but we praised Holtman for barely making it. Um, do you know something that I don't? Why is everybody willing to make excuses for this guy? When will you and others begin to call out the fact that we missed on this hire, and that the sooner we can move on, the sooner we can get back to having a decent basketball team?
0: There have been so many fire Chris Holtmans over the past month and a half that it's amazing. But I I, I thought they subsided. So, like, I, I almost do think... I, the the
1: slobbering love fest, and there I, I I actually sort of slightly agree with the beginning of the premise, um, that there reached a point where it was like, all right, well, like you made the tournament, that's great, whatever, and like, you know, it wasn't the greatest coaching job in basketball history. He did he did a good job, but I think there was a reaction that everybody, I had it, you had it, mm-hmm. other people who covered the team had it, which was a pushback to this idea. Which was a pushback to like, man, they stink, they're not going to make the tournament, Holtman's a bad hire. Because the thing that's in there that you have to realize, and, and I, come, I started with Thad Mata's second year, I'm not much of an expert on the Jim O'Brien era. <coughs> Excuse me. Probably Fad Mata's best coaching job was in year two. When he won the Big Ten and got a two seed with Terrence Diles, Jaquel Foster, J.J. Sellinger, Matt Sylvester, and a no nobody close to an nba player but terrence Stiles was the big 10 player of the year that year he was kind of like a kata guy i mean completely different player but in that that was fab was left a guy who was had the skills to be the big 10 player of the year just like mata left that for Holtman. Mm-hmm. but i mean you know this andrew writing this question i mean They didn't have any seniors this year. This is the year what the the whole recruiting class exploded. This is the year where they recruited five guys, had one of the top ten recruiting classes in the country, and all of them transferred. And then two of the four guys in the next class who'd be juniors this year, two of those four transferred. And that has nothing to do with Chris Holtman. So Chris Holtman was not left with the very full cupboard. And that's all this is about. They were forced to play young guys. They were forced to bring in transfers like T.J. Jackson, like this was not a winning roster, and that is not Chris Holtman's fault. So, yeah, by year three, Thad Mata had Greg Oden and Mike Conley, which is lightning in a bottle. Thad Mata had been in Indianapolis, where both those guys were from. He developed with relationships with them when they were very young. They even were talking to him about maybe going to Xavier, and, like, Xavier wasn't good enough for them. They had to go to a better school than that. And then right at the moment of truth, Thad Mata got the Ohio State job, and all of a sudden, their guy that they got to know because he was in their city, because they were from Indy, and Butler's in Indy. Their guy was in the Big Ten. And Indiana was down, and Purdue was down a little bit. Mostly it's that Indiana was down. And he got two top four picks in the same class. That is not the recruiting standard that we can hold Chris Holtman to. And by the way, if you want to hold Chris Holtman to a recruiting standard, their three-man class next year are number 28, 42, and 45 in the country. They have three top 50 guys coming in. There's 330 teams in the country. Three of the top 50 are coming to Ohio State. So, like, I think you kind of, like, it's just, it's not even an opinion. Like, it's just wrong. I mean, like, the recruiting's good. They had holes all over the roster this year. And they reached the second round of the tournament. And, like, of course, that's not good enough. But, man, like... All credit to Thad Mata. You know what the legit... If, if part of this is, if any point of this is... You know what? Thad Mata was awesome. That he won the Big Ten and got a two seed with that group of guys. A lot of times I think Thad Mata gets viewed as a recruiter because he got Odin and Conley and he had other one-and-done guys with B.J. Mullins and Costa Kufis and Daquan Cook and and then when he brings in Jared Sullinger and that class with, and David Lighty, William Buford and John Debler, sometimes you look at him as a recruiter that guy could coach too that guy went nose-to-nose with Izzo look at Izzo Thad Mata went nose-to-nose with Izzo and basically fought him to a draw for a decade so yeah, you should pine for the Thad Mata era he was great until he, he was He dipped at the end. But that doesn't mean Chris Holtman's not good. And so our Chris Holtman standard cannot be, where's Greg Oden? But also, <laughs> three top 50 dudes coming in next year.
0: Let's let's see how they do. Look, Chris Holtman came into a room that was on fire and put the fire out. You can't get mad that there's ashes all over the place. Like That's pretty much what this boils down to. It's... The talent on his team wasn't there. You've already explained the fact that the entire senior class was gone. He had a—he didn't have a lot to work with when he got here, so the fact that they made the tournament was impressive because they weren't supposed to be a tournament team. Now, starting now, you can start to judge where he's at as a program, program And he, which he said he's ahead of schedule.
1: Yeah, that was interesting. I thought that – yeah, he did use that phrase ahead of schedule um, today. So don't be mad, man. Like, it's good. It's all good. Like, don't – you know, I, I think I, if you have a reaction to the slobbering love fest, like, I get it. But, you know, like some of the stuff that in that email, like, is just, like, not right. It's just, it's just not factually, it's have not some factually patience. right.
0: Have some patience, man.
1: And also, by the get way, back. we also – I mean, Ohio State is not Kentucky, Kansas, North Carolina, and Duke. Like, it, it, if you want to live in the world where, like, making the tournament, it's like – This isn't the school can, to be rooting for. You me. can do that with Ohio State football. Like, if you want to look at an Ohio State football season to be like 10 and 2, that stinks. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. I'm not going to, like, that, that's, that's what the standard is. The standard here cannot be like, where's the sweet 16? Man, like, that's not who you, now, that's where you were with Mata for a seven year stretch. Mm-hmm. That's where you were. And then you weren't. And then you weren't. So, but, but I also don't think it'll be interesting. This would be an, do you hold Chris Holtman to the level of Thad Mata's greatest success? If you look at Thad Mata's greatest run, is that a fair expectation for Chris Holtman?
0: No, you hold him to like... Because that's never been the case. Yeah, I don't think you hold a guy, anybody, to like somebody's greatest success. And I think we do that a lot in sports. We like compare guys to what somebody was at their peak best. I think you compare him to what he was at the hole. And... At the whole, he was able to get some great recruiting classes. He was able to get to the Final Four a couple of times, make some Sweet Sixteens, and get to the national championship. But don't look—you can't look at outliers and think that that's what Motta was for fifteen years.
1: No, but that was what he was.
0: Now we can have an argument. Like, no, no, I mean, like, I mean, off I'm off talking the about the the the, the Greg Oden
1: Conley situation. No, but that's not what we're talking about either. I mean, it's like you can't hold. Chris Holtman's recruiting to the Greg Oden-Mike Conley standard, but could you hold Chris Holtman to this standard? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. This is Thad Motta's 8-year run. Okay. Big 10 standings. First, first, fifth, fourth, first, 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 second. So that's five Big 10 regular season titles in 8 years. I think he can get it. Here's the tournament. Round of 32, national runner-up, NIT champ, losing the first round, Sweet 16, Sweet 16, Final Four, Elite Eight. So that's five Sweet Sixteens in eight years, three Elite Eights, two Final Fours, one National Championship game. Like, is that eight-year stretch, which is remarkable. Like, if Chris Holtman doesn't win five Big Ten titles in eight years, did he fall short? Is that the standard? Chris Holtman, where are your five Big Ten titles? I don't think that could be the standard. And I don't think if Chris Holtman doesn't make five Sweet Sixteens in eight years— I don't think anyone could view him as a failure. No. So I do not think, I think, but also. That's not unreasonable. I, I know you're, you're big on the end of the Fad Mata era. It would all fell apart. Yeah. That is a remarkable. That is an eight year stretch that anybody in the country, maybe outside of Duke would take. Five Sweet 16s and five conference titles in an eight year period is remarkable. And here's another thing. They won't get there. That's how good that was because it doesn't make sense that Fad Mata got there. You think, Ohio State's gonna win five titles in eight
0: years over okay. Chris Holtman? So are we saying that like you're saying he actually takes home the hardware? I'm just saying is it reasonable to say that in an eight year period Chris Holtman a Chris Holtman coach Ohio State team can consistently be in the conversation to be contending for these things?
1: No, I I think that is the I think that is the expectation. To compete in the top Third of the Big Ten. I don't most think of that's unreasonable. No, I don't think that's unreasonable either. I, th- th- but this th- is not that. Okay.
0: Five titles in eight years is not that. Five titles in eight so years is So your argument, your argument is him actually doing it and not necessarily just being in the conversation. I mean, is my, uh, I mean. I'm asking you, I'm not telling you what your argument is. I'm asking you a question. No, I'm just
1: saying, if, if, if you, if it, if after, so that's, so Thadmon is first year, that's Thadmon is year two through nine. Right. Five in the eight period, eight years, of years two through nine. Right. Five Sweet Sixteens, five Big Ten titles. If after nine years, Chris Holtman does not have five Sweet Sixteens and five Big Ten titles, should anybody look at that and say he did not live
0: up to expectations? Here, now, here's my argument to that. I think the Big Ten is vastly better than it was when that model first got here. I don't know if I agree with that. I think it is. From, like, from a deep, from a depth standpoint, I think it's better. Now I think the top every is about the same, but like when you talk about like okay. from a depth standpoint, it's a, like I don't know. Oh, well, Ryan's pretty good. Well, okay, so Wisconsin's you're not, like I worse. said, the top the top was better. Michigan probably, stays maybe. the same. Okay, so you had okay, so Wisconsin's been re- replaced by Michigan. Okay, we don't want to run through the whole. No, I'm, that, I but, wasn't going to do that. I- I think under the circumstances Yeah, I mean everyone says the Big Ten's the best basketball conference there is right now. Yeah, so, they weren't so saying that when that model was here. So but, I but think But
1: regardless but but here, but
0: here, okay. Okay, go ahead. So, because of that, I think if he's just in a conversation where like that model in, in the Big 10 he played in being the best team in the Big 10 was like, wow. I think in today's Big 10, if you're one of the three best teams in the Big 10 every single season for 8 years, That can be comparable to what Bad Mata did. But really, but but when you're talking about winning
1: championships, it's not about the depth, because everybody has to play the same depth or the same lack of depth. It really only matters when you're talking about did you win the Big Ten or not. All that matters is how good the teams at the top are. And he was beating Bo Ryan and Tom Izzo to win the Big Ten. That's pretty good.
0: Okay, so if in Chris Holman's case it'll be Baylon, Baylon and,
1: and Izzo. Izzo. <laughs> he's beat Matt Painter,
0: ba- yeah. Purdue had some good teams in there. Yeah, no, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't know. We, we, we. I'm just saying the World where eight hands. big ten team teams think, get in the tournament. <laughs> I think if the, any implication that like Chris Holtman would have that Thad Mata had an easier time winning five Big Ten titles than Chris Holtman would, I would disagree with. Because yes, the team. Yeah. Now, if you want to talk record, it's going
0: to be harder for Chris Holtman to win 30 games. Like a, this, That's not a tournament, though. That's, that's regular season Big Ten championships. So you have to take that into account. Because in today, Ohio State can lose to Northwestern. Yeah, but so could Michigan State. Right. That the, was not happening yeah, nearly it as matter. often in 2008 and 2009. But it's the same
1: subset of teams. So if you're saying, if you're competing for a conference title... All that matters is did you win it or not? And if your conference is deep or not deep, it affects the teams at the top in the same way. So if your argument is today Northwestern has a better chance of beating Ohio State, today Northwestern also has a better chance of beating Michigan State or Michigan or anybody else competing at the top of the Big Ten. Yeah. So it, but in terms of winning the conference, that does not lessen or increase your chances of winning the conference.
0: Yes, it does. How? Because what if you're tied with a team going into the last week of the but regular what if, season and what if you lose you, a random game? Yeah, what if you're tied with that team and they lose a random game? Because the whole conference is better. Right. That wasn't happening nearly as much 10 years but ago. That's same, what I'm saying.
1: No, but this thing—the thing the thing that is happening is happening to the top teams equally. When, a, when Fat Mana was competing against Izzo, both of them had a lesser chance of losing to a bottom-tier team. Now, as Chris Holtman competes against Izzo, both of them have an increased chance of losing to a lesser tier team. But how does that change whether or not Ohio State's going to beat Michigan, Michigan State, or Purdue to win the Big i I'm Ten? not saying that.
0: What I'm saying is it makes it more impressive if, if you go into the Big Ten tournament with a number one seed. That's what I'm saying. I'm impressive what? Impressive nationally? Oh, just with like, you, you won the Big Ten regular season championship going through everything, going through all of that, while... In the early 2000s, it was like four or five teams you had to go through, and like you had wins where you could just go, "That's a win, that's a win, that's a win, that's a win." But, but, but you're mas- you're mostly arguing that the bottom of the league is better.
1: Yeah, he still had Izzo. He still I'm had not taking away those people because like you know when Tressel won, that when Tressel won the Big Ten in football, there were not a lot of teams competing with Ohio State at the upper level no. of the Big Ten in football. So I would agree with the argument that Jim Tressel
0: had an easier time winning the Big Ten in football than Urban Meyer. I don't did. think it's the same because wasn't as good. I don't think it's the same because you don't play every team every single year. It's the, what I'm. What I am saying is today, a top tier team in the Big Ten on a random saturday in january can lose to one of the lower level teams in the big 10 in the early 2000 when bad first got here that was not hap- that was not a reasonable thing to say on a normal basis to say hey tom izzo can lose to nebraska in early january that wasn't happening nearly as often as it happens today which is why i am saying if you are winning a big 10 regular season title today in a league where you can randomly lose 3 games in a row to teams that you that you would look at the schedule and go that's a win that's impressive to me okay i don't want to argue this anymore I, I i i think
1: it's it, like we're almost talking about math now cuz like if we agree it's about like in a subset if x at the top is the set
0: I'm just saying the conference is deeper. But you're not saying that the conference at the top is, is more competitive. No, but that doesn't matter when you're talking about regular season. You play everybody.
1: Okay. That I don't doesn't come in the... anymore. I, I don't like this conference. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go to Deshaunus Gray, talking about we're gonna get off bat wait, is there any more basketball? Uh bell advice. I don't think there's any more basketball wait oh no someone did oh no i think it was the same guy i think the same guy was so wound up about holtman Holman. that he emailed my work account in addition to the <laughs> gmail account to talk, talk about this slobbering love fest he is truly so i think we're Holman. good on basketball we covered caleb weston is there anything else from we're gonna write about stuff, but like anything else from the sort of the Chris Holtman wrap up, didn't really get an
0: indication on who they're gonna hire. No, um, he just like he kind of gave a timeline. He kind of wants it done before like AAU really starts to pick up. The end of the month, yeah, right? So. He, he, there's
1: a couple of internal candidates: Scooney Penn, Mike yeah. Netty. I thought the way he talked about him, made me sort of think it's not going to be them. No, he just kind
0: of gave him like the pat on the back, like but, you're doing a good job, kid. Yeah. So I, I,
1: I know some people are, I think, are, are greatly interested in Scooney Pen as potentially being an assistant coach here, especially since his son's like a recruit here. I, I don't. It, Mike it didn't necessarily sound like to me that that was going to happen. Deshaunus Gray, let's set the expectations for the receiver room right now. Dwayne Haskins was so elite that we were able to witness five productive wide receivers in Campbell Hill, Terry, McLaurin, Dixon, and Austin Mack. If we look at JT Barrett's senior season, we can see that all of our new fancy weapons won't be productive in 2019. In 2018, we had four receivers between 650 and 1,000 yards. In 2017, there were four receivers between 400 and 600 yards, not over 600. That's what we can expect. Who will be the four, who will be left out?
0: So some of that is offense though. Like some of that is like Haskins is really good at throwing the ball. Some of that is just like the approach they took offensively. Though. Well, but I think but but if you so I think if you make like a comparison to 2016, offensive
1: approach matters much more, right? Yeah. In 2017 this Ryan Bay is here. Yeah. So so and I think there's a lot this is I think one of the great discussions of this Ohio State football season is as you try to figure out what they're gonna do offensively, is how much is approach – how much is taking advantage of the guy on your team? So how much of what Ohio State did in 2018 was a philosophical thing? Ryan Day wants to throw it more? And how much of it was it, man, we have the best thrower in the history of Ohio State football? I think that's an interesting question. Let me frame something that's not in this question. Will Ohio State have a
0: 1,000-yard receiver this year? Uh, I said it earlier that I thought K.J. Hill could get there. I'm starting to take that back. Um I mean, I don't, I would say no. Yeah. Because I, I, I do think, I think. One, your quarterback's going to tuck it in and run a little bit more often. And I do think, I mean, it's, it's, it, this flies, listen, Jake,
1: or, or, uh, Ryan Day certainly wants to, I think, encourage the idea that Ohio State's a and program now. He wants to do that for recruiting pro-style NFL quarterbacks, which is, I think, the kind of guy he wants to recruit like Jack Miller. So I think he wants every recruit out there, (coughs) excuse me, every quarterback recruit to think, I'm going to be the next Dwayne Haskins. And I think if they are Dwayne Haskins, they'll have the opportunity to be Dwayne Haskins. But you don't always have Dwayne Haskins. So I think if Paris Campbell... So here's the receiving yards last year. Paris Campbell, 1,063. K.J. Hill, 885. Terry McLaurin, 701. Johnny Dixon, 669, and then Austin Mack had 331, but then missed the last third of the year. I don't know. I would not be surprised if, if the leading receiver had like eight, seven or 800 yards, just because again, they'll spread it around. But if we're excited, if you're excited about Chris Olave, if you're excited about Garrett Wilson, I don't think any of them are going to like, you know, have 1200 yards receiving. Michael Thomas is the best receiver in the NFL. Michael Thomas at Ohio State in 2015 had 709 receiving yards, so 49 receptions for 709. It's not going to be that. That's a philosophical thing with Urban Meyer running Ezekiel Elliott and running J.T. Barrett. So it's, it's not going to be that low, but I, I think they're going to spread out the receiver production. And I think it's going to be somewhat significantly decreased. What you said, you, th- you know, a young quarterback, a new quarterback in Justin Fields, and Ryan Day made the point today that really Justin Fields and Matthew Baldwin oh, are like freshmen. I mean, they it's, are freshmen right now. It's their, it's their you know, freshman year. They, they'll they be sophomores in the fall, but it's only spring. School's not over. Yeah, that's weird. They've done a lot in
0: their freshman year. Yeah, you? it's been busy. I mean, it's yeah, Justin over. Fields is like,
1: oh, Justin Fields. You think about it, Justin Fields only spent
0: half a year a Justin Fields has called three places his home in the last – like twelve months, yeah, because he was an early enroll guy too. And when you go to when you go to college, you gotta move all your stuff.
1: That's a lot of move. That's a lot of dorm moving. Your now. parents got to get like the minivan or the yeah. pickup truck or the station wagon.
0: You always get a lot thing? of good business from them.
1: Um, I don't know. So we think it'll be somewhat significantly decreased
0: in terms of receiver yeah. production. Yeah, because one, yeah, just because play calling will be a little bit different than it was last year. Um, and the fact, yeah, you've got a, basically a freshman as your quarterback regardless of who, who's under center. So, yeah, it, it, I don't think you're going to see the eight, a thousand yard guy. I think 850 would be, like, the max guy. Caleb Ardle asks on <clears throat>, Gmail,
1: and I know, Stephen, you've been putting a, get together a list of the visitors that we're going to see um, for this spring game. Weekend is a big recruiting weekend, Ryan Day. Basically t- sort of talk with Ryan Day on Wednesday about you know the the tough parts of the job, or what did, what did you learn the most? It was all all his answers were recruiting, just about what it's like as a head coach when you're recruiting mm-hmm. and you just have all these visitors running through your office from morning till night. Um, Caleb's question: What high school recruits that are on the line with going to Ohio State would you like to the Buckeyes? Uh, would you like to see the Buckeyes get the most? Is there somebody? I, I, I'm going to pull something out. of – I didn't send a message out for text questions this week, and I'll talk about the text thing in a minute, but. Someone did ask a test question that I think was good. Is there is there somebody in particular when you were thinking about visitors who really are would be at the top of the list of Yeah, it'd be nice if the Buckeyes got that guy.
0: Yeah, I think I have a couple actually. The first one, Michael Drennan the second from Dublin, Kaufman Ohio. It's an Ohio guy. They haven't had a four star running back from Ohio since DeMario McCall, and that was in 2016. So it'd be interesting to see if they get him. Uh, Darian Henry is also big one. Yeah, that's like. Defensive end from Ohio, who's all, from Southern Ohio, he's friends with Paris Johnson Jr. Uh, that's a huge guy I think they need to get uh for 2020. A lot of these 2020 guys, Marvin Harrison Jr., who, yes, if you've heard that name before, yes, he is the son of Hall of Famer Mar- Marvin Harrison. I think he'd be interesting to see if they can get him. But another guy I think who's kind of come on the radar for 2021 rate lately is... Najee story from Solon, Ohio. Like Ohio's got a lot of. T- I think part- Ryan Day said he's putting an emphasis on getting Ohio guys, and I see why. Ohio guys have a lot of four and five star guys, so a lot of these four and five star Ohio guys, I'm interested to see if they can kind of seal them up. It's um, it is a good group, right? I mean, it's one of those things
1: where, um, you know, a lot of times it's sort of generally, you know, fun to to criticize, hey, you didn't get enough in-state guys this year or that year. A lot of times, honestly, it is um, about what the talent is like in-state, yeah. right? And so I do think um, it seems like there's there's an uptick where if Ryan Day wants to focus in-state, and he was interesting talking about the coaching clinic. He was talking about how important this coaching clinic is. They're going to have some coaches here not from Ohio, but most of them will be oh. from Ohio. They want to show these coaches how important they are to them. Um, that is a legit thing. He is hitting that, but I think he's also hitting it because it's the smart thing to do. Mm -hmm. Any coach hired at a big state school, the first thing you have to do, one of the first orders of business is make sure you reach out to the in-state high school coaches. But this is a good time to... Be interested in Ohio kids because there are some kids. Jack Sawyer is that one kid so far in 2021. You had a story; he was the number two mm-hmm. overall recruit in the nation in the revamped 247 recruiting rankings this week. But there are some other Ohio kids really that really are popping in there. And not
0: just Ohio kids. Like there's a lot of kids who are like who live 15 minutes away from your campus. Yes,
1: yeah, Central Ohio. There's, there's some really good too. Central Ohio kids. I cannot find the text question, and I apologize for it. If you are the texter who sent this thank you for sending it because it got me talking and i know i responded to you with one of the texts one of the personal texts but it was a question about running back recruiting and in a world where we've talked a lot about ryan day recruiting quarterbacks we've talked a lot about brian hartline and his uh, ability to recruit um, receivers they have receivers lined up already um, for 2020 they have a couple guys is it possible that they would see any kind of downturn in their running back recruiting if they are going to be in a world where, hey, we want people to know that we're going to be a passing program? Is that anything to think about? I think
0: as far as the traditional handle, I think that's part of the reason why they're you know going to put in more un- under-center stuff. I, I, it's been talked about the fact that for running backs it gives them a chance to, you know, go run downhill more often. I think versatility with the running backs is what you're going to see I think If they're going to go after running backs, not guys where you're just handing off the ball. They're going have to be able to get out there and catch passes and stuff like that. But, yeah, if they're going to put an emphasis on throwing the ball downfield, I know uh, – I'm pretty sure you were the one who asked Garrett Wilson about – you know Ryan Day promising him that they're going to throw the ball downfield. How happy he was to see what that offense did last year. If you're going to, you know, cater to one position, another position is going to get neglected a little bit. And if, from the looks of it, the the traditional hands you the handoff running back is going to be the guy who gets you know neglected in that situation. I think there's still room. I mean, it's not like they're not going to run it. No, they're still going to do it. But like, you can't just you have to be able to catch the ball. Do you? I think so, yeah. Uh, see, because I think, I mean, I think when Ryan
1: Day talks about throwing the ball, what's going to disappear is the quarterback run. Teams that throw the ball, I still think there's room to hand it to a good tailback 20 times a game. So I think, like, Kendall Milton is the name that's popping now, right? Isn't Kendall Milton yeah. going to be here for spring, for the spring game?
0: Mm-hmm. Him uh, and, uh, who I just named, I forgot his name.
1: A lot of it, it's one of the interesting Sorry, things. That they have a lot of the guys that they're looking back at running back. Looking at at running back are West Coast guys. Um, they've been in Arizona. Yeah. They had a commitment originally from Darvon Hubbard who has since rescinded that commitment. Kendall Milton is from California. There are on a couple other guys um, from the West Coast. But Kendall Milton is a guy who's ranked what?
0: He is the 15th nationally and the second running back. Number
1: two running back, five-star, number 15 overall player, and he is legitimately interested in Ohio State. So I I think there is a way. You know, it's one of those things like, uh, you know, Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins sharing the load last year was like, oh, you know. But I think, you know, if you end up sharing the load, that's what you do. But I think J.K. Dobbins in a – I think they're going to have – Certainly, Justin Fields is going to run more than Dwayne Haskins, but they're going to, they're they're moving towards throwing the ball. But J.K. Dobbins, I think, is going to have a big year. And J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber were both effective last year. Their tailbacks ran for nearly two thousand yards. So is that the world? Wild Dwayne Haskins threw fifty touchdowns. So
0: is that the world we're going to live in, where you know
1: J.K. Dobbins? If if J.K. J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber combined to get the ball four hundred times
0: last year, right? Obviously, like, J.K. Dobbins is not about to run for almost 2,000 yards this year. But what I am saying is J.K. Dobbins is going to get 95% of the the touches from the running backs' standpoint. Is that the world we're living in where the running backs, you're almost going to get treated how the quarterbacks are, where it's like, listen... You're competing to be the starter and to be on the field because if you're not the starter, you're probably not going to get on but the field. But I don't field.
1: know that that's changed. I mean, I don't know that that's changed, and it's, it's one of those where if you have two guys, just like Ryan Day said today when I was asking about how you're going to decide who's going to start, he said if you have, if guys are close, you play both. Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins were close last year, so they played both. J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber were close the year before, so they played both. Nobody was close to Ezekiel Elliott, so they played Ezekiel Elliott. Nobody talking? was close to Carlos Hyde, so they played Carlos Hyde. But he's I
0: also think- admitted to the fact that like that wasn't the most ideal situation to have two guys splitting series like but, but I don't think that that was That was not uh,
1: philosophical That was the, like J.K. Dobbins was good right away And Mike Weber was not Ezekiel Elliott So no. they just wound up With two guys who deserved to play Could you was there, Is there a world where they could have played Where they could have made Dobbins or Weber The go-to back last year And the other guy basically was a backup Would that have made sense? No They didn't have a choice It was screwed up it was, I think, not ideal. I think it was a way to not get the absolute best out of either of them. Yeah. But I don't know that they had another option. And it's one of those things. If your problem is that, well, this J.K. Dobbins guy is better than we thought. He he played as a true freshman. Now he's a sophomore. We have to play him. But Mike Weber is a good player. We can't sit Mike Weber. We told him to come back. He almost left for the NFL. We got him to come back.
0: We've got to give him the ball. So do you want to live in – do you want to – you want that again, where like well, you've got okay. two five. I'm not saying they're gonna go get two five star running backs, but two like high level running backs on your team, and you're back in that position where it's like, well, we gotta play them both now. Well, I mean, yeah, they would tell you, yeah, of course, that's what they want. Yeah, Too okay. many good players. Yeah, okay. I mean, like, okay. I mean, hundred
1: percent. But that's not I, I, the question that we're really dealing with is 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 this move to more of a passing offense gonna decrease their chances of landing a five star running back? And competition at the running back position is a different thing. Like, will they maybe not be able to... If they get Kendall Milton, will they be able to stack a five-star behind him next year? No. But at the moment, um, I think they have an opportunity to, to go get a really good back and sell them on the opportunity to play right away. And I think that is legit. And I guess, again, philosophically in general, I still think they will be able to recruit a high-level running back every year because I think that within the idea of being more of a passing team, I think you can still sell that. Because in the end, you can still sell the run game. Because really, a lot of the thing, the thing that is vanishing, the number one change, the thing that's going to vanish, the thing that's going to be different is the quarterback is not going to run. They are not going to look for running quarterbacks, and ideally, they are not going to hand the ball to, to, to a running quarterback. But Marcus Crowley, Marcus Crowley's popping this spring, right? Yeah. Number 371 overall recruit in his class. Master Teague popped a little bit in the spring game last year, right? Master Teague, I think, you know, did enough as a true freshman last year and in garbage time to give people, um, some hope. Master Teague as a recruit, two twenty-eight nationally. Brian Sneed's the big recruit. He's gone. He was number eighty nationally. So right now, for a five-star running back, you're probably telling him J.K. Dobbins is probably going to leave. You might be pointing out that the two running backs ahead of him and the two classes ahead of him were not in the top two hundred players in the country. And Kendall Milton, number twenty what in the country? Number fifteen in the country. Kendall Milton, number back. fifteen in the country. There's an opportunity here. Master Teague and Marcus Crowley are good players, and we are glad to have them as Buckeyes. But go look at the recruiting rankings. There is not a five-star running back ahead of you. And J.K. Dobbins might go pro. This is a good place for you to be. I think they can sell. I think they can pitch a top 50 player at running back in this class. Now, down the if, line. If, Ken, if Kendall Milton comes, then it's going to be harder to sell that next year because now you're going to sit behind Kendall Milton. But I don't know... That's just stacking talent, which is a, which is an issue everywhere. Um, I think that that running back is going to get enough work. I think J.K. Dobbins, don't you think, what do you think J.K. get give me rough numbers, J.K. Dobbins, get, what's your guess on how many yards J.K. Dobbins runs for this year? Pure guess, barely thinking about it. 1200. 1250. That's fine. Would that sell you? Is that, does that get Kendall Milton interested here? I think it does.
0: That's all. Okay. So <clears throat> I mean it's, it's You saw me in the Kendall Milton. I, I he'd be big. Yeah, but it'll be interesting to see how it works after him. Yeah. So he in a world where he does commit, it'd be interesting to see what happens in the next four classes because he'll be here for 3 years. And so do they go do they try to go big fish hunting for running backs every other year pretty much? Or maybe every yeah. 2 years you go and try to get a big fish from the running back.
1: I mean, I think it's not it's not like recruiting quarterbacks, because nothing is like recruiting quarterbacks, no. where it's really hard to stack five stars of quarterback, yeah. and then they're going to transfer. But it's the next most like it. Because mm-hmm. you play a bunch of linemen, you play a bunch of linebackers, yeah. you play a bunch of corners, you only play one running back. Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, sometimes they'll go with two on the field, but like, mostly it's one running back.
1: And Alabama, I mean, that's the thing, Alabama has not had, uh,
0: before Tua <laughs> had not had great
1: NFL-style quarterbacks, but they stack backs. running backs, man. They have. Boy. It's like they have three NFL running backs in the backfield together all the time.
0: And you didn't realize that they were all on the same team at one point.
1: You get the Harris's confused, man. It's hard to keep track. All right. I think we'll end with this one because I think Steven needs to help on this because I talked about it last week. Taco Bell advice from a former employee. End a Buckeye question. This is from our friend Brock Fickenshire. As I was listening to the newest Buckeye Talk episode, I thought I could share my Taco Bell wisdom as a former employee throughout my high school and college years. The menu at Taco Bell can be broken down into three categories in my humble opinion. One, food that must be eaten in the restaurant because it's at best within 10 minutes of being prepared. Two, food that can be eaten relatively easily while driving. Three, food that cannot be eaten while driving but while, but will make it the full drive home. Category 1, which means you have to eat it in the restaurant. Mexican pizza, nacho bel grande, nacho supreme, taco salad, tostada, and cheesy gordita crunch. These items are great but can get soggy quickly. Category 2, which is the ones eat in the car. Most burritos, as they are rolled into a compact wrapper, the crunch wrap supreme is also in this category. It is rolled up into a hexagon and can be one-handed. Category 3, which can get home, includes soft and hard tacos, Power bowls, quesadillas, and chalupas. Some people think the Mexican pizza is still good at this stage, but I vehemently disagree. If I remember correctly, you're a plain burger kind of guy. I don't think you're a big fan of lettuce and tomatoes. If that's the case, and you're looking to eat on the go, my recommendation would be as follows. A beefy Frito burrito. Man. He's not wrong. That is some hardcore stuff. What is your Taco Bell experience?
0: Um, Yeah, he's not wrong about the BB Frito <sighs> About, About the beefy burritos. Frito
1: Burrito, yeah. you're beefy
0: in. Frito. Yeah, I'm not against it. I'm gonna eat one today. But with that being said, when I graduated from college, I retired from eating Taco Bell. Really? Yes, it's like not good food for your system. Like I no. don't know. No. like it's actually probably the worst like fast food you can put in your body. Yeah, like yeah, easily. So, but
1: I like Mexican food. Chipotle. Yeah, I know, but sometimes I want—I always get the burrito at Chipotle. Sometimes I don't want that. That's fair. Yeah, sometimes you want a taco,
0: or and and I know know you can
1: get tacos at Chipotle. It's hard for me to get anything other than a burrito. The thing
0: that comes in the foil. Yeah, maybe a burrito bowl, but that's fair. I'll say this: then. I think, first of all, like applaud you for like finding these categories. My category—that was intense. that was 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 a great breakdown. That was amazing.
1: Well, I read it because I hope it helped other people, not just me. I hope if you've wondered, how do I eat this Taco
0: Bell food in the car?
1: That's the inside scoop of my boy Brock.
0: That was solid. I'll say this, though. Taco Bell has one category for me. It's something great to eat after a good night out. Fourth meal. Yeah. Fourth meal is – you know you shouldn't eat, but you're (laughs) going to eat it anyway.
1: Fourth meal is just, they call it that because you can't call it drunk meal on a TV commercial. (laughs) Yeah, basically. So it's like, (laughs) Taco Bell, stoned meal. It's like, listen, I know, fourth meal? Who's eating at midnight? Yeah. You're only eating at midnight (laughs) in one situation. There's
0: nothing else open.
1: (laughs) But I did appreciate the idea that it is difficult to eat a taco in a car. I got pushback from some other people, but that
0: the grease, like the... He's yeah, going to get all over you. I think there's only – there's like a minimal amount of finger foods you can eat in a car. I think a burger, maybe some french fries, chicken nuggets. I don't think a, a a meal where literally it's falling all over the place every time you take a bite into it is something you need to be eating in a car because you need to have a napkin and yeah. all this extra stuff. Wear a bib. yeah.
1: Are you, where are you on shotgun pizza? We've talked about shotgun pizza before you were hired here a couple years ago. I am a big shotgun pizza guy. Like
0: eating like pizza?
1: Like, yeah, I'm, like I'm actually, have a long drive ahead of me tonight. I've done that. Pizza. And I'm probably going to get like a large pizza <laughs> yeah, and put it in the yeah. passenger seat.
0: <laughs> I didn't have a name for it, but I've definitely done that. Just because like, I'm headed home, I'm just hungry. So like, yeah. and it's there. So like. Yeah, and that <laughs> can get dicey depending
1: on how hot the pizza is and Bingo. the cheese is dripping. Yep. But. I get stuffed crust, so like it's, it's worth it, extremely. Yeah, the stuffed crust you get a thicker crust, you yeah. Handle. All right, the, the second part of Brock's question: Who finishes with more career receiving yards at Ohio State, Chris Olave or Garrett
0: Wilson? Um, I'll go Olave just because I think o, like, between those two, Olave is more likely to be here longer. It could be. You know, I think Garrett Wilson is three and out, and that's only because that's the rule. Chris Olave last year had 12 catches
1: for 197 yards. I think I'm going to go Wilson only because I think he's going to get a head start. That He's going to play from day one, and Chris okay. Olave didn't. And I kind of agree with you. It's like certainly nobody would be shocked the way he – I mean, he hasn't played a snap of college football. We're sending him out to the door of the NFL after three years. But that, he's a five-star recruit. Um, but depending – I think Olave, I mean, again, what, what – Olave showed last year, makes me think he could too. I agree with you that if you said who's more likely to go pro which after their third do. year, I'd say Wilson, but I think Olave could also go. Yeah. So I think they could both be here three years. I think they could both be here four years, but I do think Garrett Wilson is going to have is going be significantly more productive than 12 catches for 197 yards as a freshman, which is part about... Partly about Garrett Wilson and partly about the fact that they just could not find a role for Chris Olave before Austin Mack got injured.
0: Yeah. So opportunity. I think, yeah. yeah. If they're, if they if we're living in a world where both those guys are only going to be here for three years, then yeah, Garrett Wilson's probably going to have more, especially since like what will be Garrett Wilson's third year. Olave won't be here. Right. So like he if can't, he goes, like, right. yeah. So he can't make whatever his numbers are, what his numbers are. That could also be like, we're, there, there could be a world where like, it would be
1: like Garrett Wilson as a junior, Chris Olave as a senior, and that's the year Matthew Baldwin gets to start, and it's like Matthew Baldwin had to wait, because if we're operating <laughs> under the assumption, talking about sending guys to the NFL, yeah. nothing I have ever said so far about any situation at Ohio State has included the possibility that Justin Fields could be here for four years, that... I'm assuming that he's going to be only at Ohio State, even for three years, that he's only going to be in college for three years, one at Georgia and two here. Every Mm -hmm. scenario I've ever talked about or written about or texted about with the Ohio State quarterback situation is
0: Justin Fields in 19,
1: Justin Fields in 20, and then he's gone.
0: So we could live in a world where Baldwin and Garrett Wilson have only played with each other when Garrett Wilson's a junior and Baldwin's a senior in high
1: school because they went to the same high school at Lake Travis. That'd, and be, that, a, that'd and, be a fun story. And that's that it's like, okay, and if Matthew Baldwin waits it out, which I think he will, Once and if Justin, Bal- if Justin Fields goes and it's 2021 and it's redshirt freshman Jack Miller versus redshirt junior Matthew Baldwin for the starting quarterback job, and their top two targets are senior Chris Olave and junior Garrett Wilson. That could be a situation where you are giving those uh, whoever wins that starting quarterback job a chance to succeed at a high level right away if mm-hmm. those guys are anything close to what we think they should be. Side note, Garrett Gilbert signed by the Browns uh, as probably, it seems like, their third string quarterback behind Baker Mayfield and Drew Stanton, Garrett Gilbert, also from Lake Travis High School. So now we have three Lake Travis High School quarterbacks, which is in the suburbs of Austin, Texas, in the state of Ohio, Garrett Gilbert. Baker Mayfield, and Matthew Baldwin, and also probably the best receiver ever from Lake Travis High School in Garrett Wilson, all in Ohio. Lake Travis, spitting them out. All right, that's going to do it. I'm going to sell you one more time on our text message program. You can find it on cleveland.com. You can find it as my pinned tweet on Twitter. Uh, What I do is I send you one or two texts a day about the Ohio State football program, Um, it's gone well so far. Uh, I respond personally to as many messages as I can. Uh, I see someone just signed up an hour ago. Um, we appreciate that. The feedback's been really good. Um, thanks for the insight. Somebody, somebody sent that. Somebody else sent me something nice. Oh, where is it? People, like most of the time in a world where like I'm used to people giving me a hard time about stuff, people seem to like the text thing. This text thing is awesome, Doug. Keep up the good work as always. Um, it's, it's 13 cents a day. It's Ohio State info straight into your phone. You don't have to go look for it. It's just little observations, little opinions, quick little insights. As soon as we talked to Ryan Day today, I sent, I sent a text out. It's like a tweet, but it's only to a select group of people that you pay 13 cents a day for. I sent a text out immediately um, about the Garrett Wilson situation and how much Ryan Day was talking about Garrett Wilson again. When we were in there, last time he watched Ohio State practice, I was tweeting out – I was texting out immediately what I thought of practice. Um, last time we talked to Ryan Day on Friday, I get out of there, I was immediately – I was texting people – while I was still in the room, in the team room, I'm sending you a text about what's going on with Ryan Day. And I know, um, there are options out there on Twitter, but not everybody's on Twitter. Not everybody is able to look at Twitter at work during the course of the day, but this is a text right into your phone. It's no more than like 600 characters. It's a quick little message that I'm going to read you. I'm going to read you a text that I sent yesterday. Now I'm going to read you the Garrett Wilson one. This is an example of what I texted. So this is, you can figure out if you want it or not. Not surprised by Garrett Wilson looking good in spring, but a little surprised by how much Ryan Day has leaned into it. Once again today, Day's answer for a guy who stood out this spring was Wilson, the early enrolled true freshman wide receiver. Day and Wilson had a tight relationship in recruiting, so Day knows him well and obviously has no problem putting expectations on him. I had to ask about blocking to get Day to say anything that wasn't all positive about Wilson. Said he needs to come a long way there, but Day hasn't hammered wide receiver blocking like Urban always did. I think that's fine. Play playmakers at wide receiver. So you got that message just after noon on Wednesday if you subscribe to this text function. That's the kind of stuff we're talking about. It's not just a nugget. It's like my opinion on what's going on with stuff, right? So go to my Twitter. Go to Cleveland.com and you will find it. You can also, if you want to, type in project Text. Dot com slash campaigns slash 28. That's hard to remember. I know it is. I wish we had a better way to get you guys to it. But you'll find it. Go to Cleveland.com and you'll find it. I've said it before. It's a personal favorite to me if you give it a shot. I'm, I'm not sure that everyone's kept it up through the first month. It's $3.99 a month. But I've just gotten a lot of good response. The people seem to like this thing. It's a different way of getting information. We know there is a big, wide world of information out there. This is not a big, long story. This is not a message board you have to go to. This is a guy who's covered Ohio State football once or twice a day, sending you a short little text straight into your phone with interesting info or insights about the team that you really care about. That was a long commercial. I appreciate you guys listening. We will be at the spring game on Saturday. We'll have a couple stories coming up before that. Guess what we will do? We will do it? Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do a post game Buckeye talk after the spring game. We will do a post game Buc- Will we? We'll do a post game Buckeye talk after the spring
0: game. <laughs> Are you like trying to? I convince have family to in here. That? I have
1: family. I, I, my instinct is always to do it. We always do a post game one. I have family in town, but family must wait. Listeners and readers come first. We'll do like a half hour post game spring ball, uh, and then we'll come back. Next week on our regular Wednesday, we're supposed to talk to the assistant coaches next Monday or Tuesday as a final wrap-up, so then we will do a final wrap-up, not just off observing the spring game, but after talking to all these coaches about what happened during spring football. So, post-game on Saturday, wrap-up next Wednesday, and then we're going to come back the week after that, two weeks from now, and we're going to big bring you a big reset, big gigantic recruiting reset, as it relates to Ohio State football. So... Get a burrito, crunchy Frito, quesadillo. It's in a hexagon. You can eat it. It's delicious. Um, thanks to Brock for that insight. Thanks to listening uh, to listening to uh, me and Stephen Means today. So for Stephen, I'm Doug. Appreciate you guys. And that was Buckeye Talk.